plenty of decks don't get to draw three cards for one mana. Well, I mean, all the good ones do. Hi, I'm Jake. And I'm Matt. And that's two weeks in a row we are on this new recording schedule. And I got to be honest, Matt, it was pretty sweet last week. Yeah, it's uh, nice to not have it kind of like, this is going to sound bad, but it's nice to not have it kind of looming over our heads all week, well, like just, trying to like scramble to get it in. Like your schedule has to work. My schedule has yep. to work. And then it's just like. It's like having to mow the yard where it's yeah. like I ha it has to get done no matter what. It's going to take a couple hours. And last week we even got I if I get home in a decent time and I can edit it, I put the episode up on Monday. I just give it to everybody early. So yeah, there's no reason to not like if that, that happens again, we might just get onto this like maybe a Monday, Tuesday re <laughs> release schedule and get a little earlier in the week. But uh, we are Cantrip Cartel. We are here to talk magic. But first off, Matt, how are you doing? Good don't, enough. I say don't lie to him because you just <laughs> we just had a 20 minute conversation. Well, the one of the few things I won't talk about on the podcast is in general, I don't really talk about our work that much. Um, let's just say I don't have anything good to say about it. So yes. I'm not going to say anything at all. Hasn't been going <laughs> super hot and uh, on Matt's side of the department. So um, we're just going to leave it at that as far yeah. as work goes. Um, went up and saw my parents for the weekend. Dad is kind of in a holding pattern at this point. So um, yeah, not really much to report there. I've uh, been dicking around with Dragon Quest Eleven. I haven't really had a ton of time to play, though. Um, my wife has really gotten into Sea of Stars. So, like, she's been on the PlayStation a lot more than I have. Uh, she really likes that game. Like, I, it's fine. Like, it's good. And I will probably play it when she's done. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's so, it's so, like, it distills a lot of the best elements from, like, classic RP JRPGs. Uh-huh. And like cuts out some of the bullshit. And so like as somebody who's not super or like as far as she goes, she's not like super familiar with all the like tropes and stuff like that. She gets yeah. kind of gets the best parts of it without having any of it feel like a rehash or anything like that. So she really likes it. I saw a TikTok the other day and it was talking about gaming and it makes sense. It, it made a lot of sense to me why I don't like playing a lot of JRPGs. Mm hmm made perfect sense because he was talking about how uh when you play a game these days most game developers assume you know how to play games so you play a shooter you like you you could never like you could you could skip 10 call of duties and you play the 11th the call of duty kind of assumes yeah. this is how you aim this is how you sh these are the buttons usually that shoot these are the buttons that do things like you kind of understand like you have one you have two tacticals the game makes these assumptions that you pretty much understand how to play it and why don't we expect JRPGs to do that too? They do to some degree. What I'm saying is like if I when I jump into a JRPG, I am just completely overwhelmed by how much there is here. And oh, I, gotcha. And I don't and I they don't explain to me how all the intricacies work. Why they yep. neither does Call of Duty. But you've just been playing There's the assumption they they have the assumption that you understand how to, you're playing Final Fantasy 17. The assumption is you understand how to play RPGs. Yeah. And it's always very frustrating to me when I get into it. It's like, I don't know. If I, none of this makes sense. I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what all these extra things do. All these extra these status effects. I don't know how important they are. And the game doesn't often go into the finer details mm -hmm. because you're supposed to know. Yep. Like Call of Duty doesn't explicitly tell you what a flashbang does because it's just, a flashbang. It's a flashbang. You, you know what a flashbang does, guys. Yep. It's, I mean, you're, it's a hundred percent true. Like, yeah, it is. There's a lot of like, just kind of 
gamer sense, so to speak. Uh-huh. But it's like gamer sense is very real, but it is somewhat specialized within genres. Uh-huh. So like if all you do is play JRPGs and you go into a first person shooter, you're not going to really get a lot of that stuff. Yep. Uh, and it'll take time to pick it up and like, you know, even like moving like and this has even changed over time with like the controls. So like, you know, playing GoldenEye on 64 just plays wildly differently uh-huh. than a modern one, even though you're functionally playing the same type of game. Yep. Um, And there's been a lot of development in that area as well with yeah. JRPGs. But I think controls in general have really gotten refined in the last yeah. like 15 to 20 years. Controls really got refined down to this is the, what works for the most part, a pretty standardized like Dark Souls, Dark Souls and, you know, Sekiro are a great example where they bump things around a little bit. But the basic, the core stuff is always almost always the same. Yeah. And if it's not, I get upset if I'm doing something and I'm like, like if if C is if C or control isn't crouch, I get mad. Yeah. Like, what the hell? What, what are, are you we guys doing thinking? Here? Like. This is amateur hour. You see crouches. Who chose to not make a controller see? Right. So yeah, there's there's a ton of that, and it's it goes from you know first person shooters, JRPGs to something like survival horror games. Like for example, if your first instinct when you play Resident Evil Two is to just kill every enemy on the screen, you're in deep shit. Uh huh. Because that game starts out. So the way it starts out is like there's a big bus crash, and like you're basically in downtown Raccoon City, mm-hmm. and everything's gone to shit. The whole first section of the game you can get through it all and maybe kill like two zombies the rest you just run around yeah because your goal like you never go back there again you're literally making it from point a to the police station i forget exactly where you start but you're going from the police station or from there to the police station and that's actually where the game starts Mm -hmm. and you kind of have to make your way through a couple streets uh you stop at a gun shop and that's where you get like a shotgun but like you don't have to kill these enemies they're not going to be because the Resident Evil games, especially the early ones, are based somewhat around backtracking. Like you're gonna have to work your way through the police station. There's a bunch of locked doors. You yeah. go through the you have to find the available path, and then that opens up more paths. So you have to like work your way through this police station. So it makes sense to kill the enemies. Because uh-huh. you're like, I'm not gonna run past this zombie every single time I go through this hallway. I'm gonna kill it. None of that applies at the first part. And if you the funny thing is, if you just skip Every zombie in the first part, you will not, you'll have enough ammo to kill every other zombie in the rest of the fucking game. But if your first instinct is zombie, kill it, you'll be out of ammo. Yep. And you'll struggle for ammo for the the entire rest of the game. Yep. But if I'm playing Call, if I'm playing a Call of Duty campaign, none of that matters. I kill every single person I come across. I would never move to an area. If you're, yeah, um, what's the word? Crosshairs turn red, you shoot them. Uh huh. That's the way the, that's the way first person shooters work. Yep. It's it's different in these, and it's the same thing with JRPGs. Like especially the older you get, it's not quite as bad now. Even like Dragon Quest Eleven has like the I have an exclamation point on the map, so you should come talk to me kind of shit. Yep. But like, um, even so far back as like some of the other fi- the earlier Final Fantasies, like the mid ones, they don't have that. So like, it's expected that you go to a town, you talk to everybody. <laughs> that sounds awful. But I mean, well, that's how you tell the story. Yeah. So. You go to this town. You've never been there before. Like they tell the story through the other characters you interact with. Mm-hmm. And even like that's also how you get the world building. So like you walk into, um, for example, you walk into Mount Coral in Final Fantasy seven by and it's just this rundown dump. Well, as you talk to people, you realize there's a catastrophe here. And that's like that's why everyone's living in tents. Everyone's poor. They're like because they're basically uh, I forget exactly what happened. There's a mini apocalypse going on. Yeah. 
And they, so like there was a Shinra plant there and there was a problem with the plant. I think it got, you know, but what, you know, long story short, Shinra bailed. Now everyone that lives there is poor. Most of the people moved out, but the people who stayed because they, you know, grew up there and whatnot, they're all poor. Uh huh. The game's not going to, it's kind of like Dark Souls in that sense where it's not going to just give you a cutscene telling you what yep. happened here. You get the story from talking to NPCs, but they'll also tell you where you need to go. Cause like at that point in time, you're like, um, trying to find somebody and like you talk to them, they're like, yeah, he, we saw him going this way. So you, you had to go and investigate the town. You talk to the towns, uh, townspeople and like you learn about what's going on in the town. You find out where you need to go. Like JRPGs are very story driven games. Mm -hmm. So like, you're going to have to talk to characters. It'd be the same thing. in like, if you were just flat out, just play in D and D and your PCs were just like, well, I don't want to talk to anybody in town. <laughs> yeah, the first thing you do is go to the bar and you talk to people yeah. and like, hey, what's going on? Any rumors? Any trouble? Any yeah. jobs? Like, you have to go do that. That's the majority of a D&D session is... Is talking to each is, other. Yep, and role-playing. The role-playing of me and the DM and like, that's how you feed us information is through characters in the world. Yeah. And if you look at a JRPG as an actual RPG and not in the way that people use RPG now, where it's like, basically, if you level up people consider it an rpg yeah it's if like you, that's not quite the same thing like levels and attributes you can put levels into then it's not what it's a role-playing game right whereas like jrpgs and to some degree like western rpgs for example Baldur, Baldur's gate 3 they are about telling a story yes there's combat involved combat is usually takes us is more like a passenger rather than the driver uh-huh but some jrpgs focus heavily more heavily on it some of one of the things i like about the final fantasy system or Final Fantasy series is they use a different system in almost all the games. So like Final Fantasy seven, uh, I think it started on might've been four or six. I can't remember. Maybe it was six or four, whichever one. So up until like, let's just say four, it was turn-based. And then Final Fantasy four introduced the uh, ATB, which is active time battle where you have a bar that fills up and that's so like your speed actually dictates how fast, how many times you can act. Yeah. Uh, by Final Fantasy 10, it went back to turn base, but you could see the entire turn order and like each action took a certain amount of effectively speed. And like, so you could really plan stuff out. Mm -hmm. Final Fantasy 12 goes to like, it mixes it. So you're kind of in an open world as opposed to like random battles. Uh, it goes back to the active time battle thing again, to some degree that determines your attacks. But like you at any point in time, you can just like cast a spell, mm -hmm. but they, they have casting times. And there's like a queue and there's also gambit. So you can control any individual character, but you can also do the like rudimentary AI and yeah, for all the characters, they just do their own thing. Like, and then by 13, that changes again. So like in 13, you only control one character. And what you do is you set up the classes for you, the other two party members, and they just do what they're supposed to do, uh -huh. but you can change their classes like with a press of a button. So you set up like, um, the way it works in that. And I personally didn't enjoy 13, but a lot of people liked it. So like you set up it, they each have effectively classes or jobs and you go like, say, I want this character be to be melee DPS tank and healer. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's one, I forget what they call them, but that's one set of classes and you can have several, I don't remember how many sets of classes. So like, and then the press of a button, you can go, everyone changes from that, from set one to set two. So the guy who was a warrior is now the dude who does status effects. The healer is now this. And then, like a ranged person and then you've got like a heavy dps or a black mage or something like that and the whole game is based around like 
using the right classes at the right time uh -huh. and you don't necessarily control the other two but like you're controlling it's kind of a you're controlling like the tactics and the strategy of the battle mm -hmm. rather than micromanaging the individual characters and a lot of people like that um and then by the time you get to 15 it's like an action game and 16 is basically devil may cry now they basically are they're trending more and more towards action oriented games which a lot of people don't like myself included not that i don't like action games but i don't think the final fantasy should be action games yeah because there's enough of them yep like and the fact of the matter is it's not what final fantasy they, is not not only that's not what final fantasy is but they're not really executing it that per very well either so like like devil may cry is cool because the whole game is based around this system and like you can design the game like you can execute it well it's kind of like water levels in non-platformers yeah i know like they just suck like because you're just adding in you're tacking on yeah. something and because it takes a game's amount of effort to make a water game correct and they don't put a game's amount of effort into a one one level and that to me is that is the epitome of action jrpgs or like yeah. unless you were really willing to like go all in on this system you're probably going to it's probably going to be mediocre and like detract from the, yeah. the whole experience um so yeah and then you have some like dragon quest is like uh like really just kind of a traditional thing i one of the things i don't like about the dragon quest games is you don't actually play a character so like your character's name is hero in dragon quest 11 and he never talks oh so it's like link basically and i really dislike that oh, like i would yeah. rather Either A, something like the Baldur's Gate games, where yes, you are a character in the world, but you have like dialogue and motivation the and world stuff like that. interacts with you at least. Right. Or, and they will, they'll be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. When you were supposed to say something, the, like somebody will say it for you or something like yeah. that. And it's like, well, why? Like, just give my character like dialogue. Like, yeah. in the, like for example, in the Final Fantasies, like the main character of Final Fantasy VII is Cloud. Cloud yep. is a fully fleshed out character he's who you primarily control but like and you're supposed to like empathize with him and kind of uh -huh. imprint yourself onto him but he is a character with a story not just a blank slate for you to kind of like yep show up on and the problem with the dragon quest games is in that regard is they're not like the for example like if you were playing skyrim yeah your character is blank slate mm -hmm. but like that's a entirely different kind of thing it's this open world sandboxy kind yeah. of thing well he also has dialogue Right, and even then, he still does. Yeah, you get talk to choose to what you say to people. Because he's like a playing, dragonborn. It's like you're playing Fallout. Like, right. I know my dude doesn't have voice lines, but he still says shit. And this is none of that. So, yeah. like, you just have to a you have to accept that if you want to play the game, uh -huh. and b you just go okay. Well, the story's the funny thing is the story is about him. He's the luminary. He's supposed to fucking fight the. It's not like he's a side character. Yeah, and, and like everything's happening around him. Completely uninteresting and unengaging. But he's the main character, and he's the hero of the whole fucking thing. So, um, but yeah, been playing that, uh, I'm like this fucking close to buying Resident Evil four cause it's on sale. Like, on, is it a remake? Yeah. The Resident Evil four remake, the one that came out earlier in the year and it's oh, like, yeah, yeah, blew up and everybody's fucking loving it. And, I saw, I saw a few playthroughs of that. That's the one with the, uh, well, no, I actually I don't know which one it is now. It's the one, um, there's a, it's, that's the one with the, uh, when you're escorting the chick. Yes, Ashley. Yeah. 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 You're saving the president's daughter. Yep. Yep. There's so. Um, if he's listening, my friend Ryan will know what I'm talking about, but there's this game called bad dudes uh -huh. from like Nintendo or uh, super Nintendo. And the plot is ninjas have kidnapped the president's daughter. Are you a bad enough dude yeah, to rescue you... her? 
And that's the fucking plot of Resident Evil 4. It's yep. zombies have kidnapped the president's daughter. Are you a bad enough dude to rescue her? And he sends some 28-year-old... Badass. To be badass. fair, Leon at this point is a badass. Like, if you yeah. actually play the game, he's fucking... He's awesome. So is this like, before or after he punches a rock out of a volcano? Uh, that's a different character. That's Chris. And it's before. That's Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's Redfield. That's Chris yes. Redfield. So Chris is the main uh, male character from Resident Evil 1. Leon was the main male character from Resident Evil 2. Um... So there's there's four basically main characters that started it. Yeah. It was Jill Valentine and Chris Redfield in the first two, or in the first one, and then uh, Claire Redfield. So Chris's sister mm-hmm. and Leon, um, off the top of my head. So this is Bluefield? a Leon game. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be Redfield and Blue Lake, Blue Sky, Blue Sky. <laughs> it's the opposite of a field. Yep. Hey, uh, oh. are you ever gonna dust down here, man? This keyboard is. You mean by Pretty this gross. keyboard, you mean your keyboard, right? And you mean the keyboard that was dusty when you brought it over, right? I'm saying this keyboard is getting pretty dusty down here. I don't think it was this, I don't think it was this dusty. This is well, it's only been over here for a couple weeks. This one, maybe no, that one's been here for a while. What did this well, one Did this one come with the computer? I don't remember which one. I don't think it. it did. No, no, because the one, this one, the one, the one with that computer is actually sitting next to my racing chair. So, yeah, come on, Matt, get this shit figured out. I did. I expect you to be down here. I opened here. the vent. What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> so, anywho, that's what I've been doing. Not a whole lot of nothing. I've been playing a ton of Tarkov. Yep. I got to level 15, and uh, it is a completely different game at level 15. It's like we're playing with some people. It's funny. <laughs> so, did I, did I complain on the main show about the randos we picked up? Or was that in the Patreon episode? I don't remember. Well, so for pers- whatever, we, we picked up some randos and we brought them in and the other people in the discord who I'm the new guy in the discord, like these guys have been there for years and I work with one of their friends. They got me in the discord and now I hang, I, I have admin privileges, but I'm not an admin. Like they do that. So I have access to their chat rooms. Mm-hmm. Well, these guys invited some randos from Tarkov into the discord. And I was like, that's a dumb fucking idea, but it's not my discord. So sure. And so we've been playing with them a fair bit and it finally happened the other night where one of the guys I play with was like, it's okay. We can go back to the other lock channel now. Oh, did he's was over it the it guy we fucking, talked about last week? Just, it, it's him and his buddy. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. And they're just fucking annoying. And like, we'll be doing like, we'll be in a fight doing stuff. And we're like, we've, we've killed some people and we're, we're clearing an area and like, we've got the area cleared mostly and we're watching it and they'll go around. It's like, Hey, this has some good gear. Anybody taking it? But he'll say that like seven times. Is anybody going to take that vest? Is anyone taking that vest? Is someone going to take that vest? Anyone with that vest? Oh my god! And it's like either take it or shut up, and that, so it literally happened. So I went over and took it. Mm-hmm. I made room. I think I, I packed it all up. And he was like, "Did someone take that vest?" And I was like, yep. "Yeah, they fucking did, asshole." So then we got out, and uh, and this isn't the guy. It's his, it, it's his friend. So the guy invited. Well, we he got one or two of his friends in there, mm-hmm. and we'd gotten I got out with a decent a decent vest that has like level four armor, and it was all torn to shit. And so I went ahead and I was going to repair it. And I was like, yeah, I'll just, I just I just repaired it. It was like $70,000 to repair it. It's level four tack vest. That's it probably costs like 120 K to buy. And he was like, why would you do that? Like you could just buy, you, you should have bought a, a armor repair kit and then use that to repair it. It'd have been way cheaper. And I was like, eh, it's not really big a deal. And then he got really hung up on it and like shit talked me like for another minute about, like like started doing the math and be like well it's this many per point and like it would have been this much money blah 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 and eventually I was like yeah well I've got like three and a half million so it's not really that big a deal and he's like yeah I mean I guess like he said something to the equivalent of like I guess you just play how you want to play 
And I want to be like, are you, excuse me? Oh my God. <laughs> this ain't your fucking Discord, bud. And I know I haven't been here that long, but I, I'm way fucking better friends with them than you are. I can kick you out of here and they'll back me over you, I promise. <laughs> it wasn't even fucking right, case in point. So to repair it was like 70K. Uh-huh. And now don't get me wrong, like to, I would have saved a bunch of equip of using a uh, armor repair kit has like a, it has like a health pool and it dishes into the but you want you want to know how much it costs to buy an armor repair kit half a million gotcha pretty big fucking investment mm-hmm. and yeah maybe over the long run it will be cheaper because as you regularly repair armor but like it's also in my opinion to throw most of the time it's between 15 and 30k to repair armor which is nothing in this game for perspective is nothing right like today i went from 4.2 million and i probably spent well over one and a half million just on stuff. And I'm like, I've got, I've still at 4.2 million just in a couple hours of work today. I made well over a million dollars. So no 50, 60, 70 K is nothing. It's it, to, to save 70 K isn't sometimes worth the effort of going to the flea market and finding something, right? It's just, it's 50 K it's 60. Who gives a shit? I know exactly what you mean, yep. but he wanted to fucking start a fight over it and we'll be in a fight. Uh, it happened really bad with Alex. We're like, we'll be in a fight and let's be fucking talking and doing shit. It's like, guys, we're doing something here. Like, so while we're in the raid, we're all fucking around and being, being silly. When we see somebody shut the fuck up. Cause now we're, it's fighting. And like he was playing one I'd gotten, I'd gotten killed. And so they were wrapping it up, but like they're getting shot at. And meanwhile, he's trying to find the guy and shoot back. They're like running around fucking with each other and making noise. That in and of itself would be way worse. Than, like that was the straw that broke. Then that was yeah. when Alex was like, "Okay, well, we can just not anymore. It's fine." Yep, kicked, kicked. We get can the hell just out. we can just go start back to playing in the lock channel. Which yeah, they should just be kicked out of the Discord. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the weird thing to me is like, why would you make allow two strangers to ruin your Discord when you just like I'm not gonna go to the lock channel. I'm kicking you I out. I agree. I don't know. I don't know why we didn't just kick them, but, but yeah, like they. <laughs> Yeah, want to start shit with me and it's like shut the fuck up that's just dumb like yeah I, so but i've been playing a ton of tarkov and um it is a completely different game after level 15 and like it's it's a lot of fun it's like the guns are all just better the kits are all just better everything is like and losing stuff doesn't matter anymore there's some things you can't buy but it's like i don't care because i can buy plenty of good shit so i'll, I'll get some extra good armor and i'll lose it and it's like yeah, whatever I, don't, I have tons of fucking armor i have tons of great tack vests mm-hmm I've got really good guns and it's a weird correlation where at, at like around the time I got to level 15, like people were just running into more PM, more like kitted PMCs. But like my shit always comes back anyway, but like I run a pretty nice SKS. I really like it's an SKS with a 20 round mag. It's got pretty good bullets in it. Um, it's got good sights, got good, everything about it's got pretty good attachments. And like I go in and I die and it's like, eh, there's a hundred and forty K. There's a hundred and forty thousand dollars in a gun lost. I can easily make 150, 200 K on a scav run nothing and the shit comes back half the time anyway Mm -hmm. half the time i get the shit back what do you mean get it back oh you can insure it so when you go into a raid um you can insure your gear and it costs a chunk of change so like to insure like if i had like a decent gun armor a helmet a backpack if i insured all that we're probably talking like 50 60 thousand ruples to have it insured now it stays insured until you lose it or sell it. So that's kind of cool. You just insure it once. Like if you insured a gun, you can run with it a hundred times yeah. until you lose it. Um, and then if you die and then no one leaves with it, you get it back. Oh, so a pretty so you're co- kind of incentivized to get something that's not quite as it's 
like not you don't the want the best weapon because somebody will take that. Yes, but if you want something that's just like just you're a step or a, two a, below, a decent quality gun, and you just insure it, and you'll just yeah, never lose it. It comes back all the fucking time. Yep. The armor too. Like I roll with like level three or usually level four armor, just decent level four armor, and it comes back all the time. Especially because like if you get you know get a gunfight, it'll get all shot up, and it's not it's not wearable. If it's down to like it only has like ten durability left, well, it's not going to stop a bullet. Right. So there's no point in taking it, and so yeah. no one takes it. Like you could take it and put it in your backpack, but it takes up a bunch of space. And then, and, and then it's it comes fairly back. common shit because yeah. So not like, why, I'm not going to fill my backup backpack yes. up with something I could buy from a fucking vendor. Yes. And so like I yeah, most of it comes back anyways. But um, it also like if I lose it, I lose it. I don't care because again, the money of the game changes too. So from level one to fifteen. I never had more than like one point. I never had like more than one and a half million. Um, at one point I had there, I, I spent over a million a couple times. So like I spent 1 million on a special junk box to go in your um, storage. So you mm-hmm. have more storage. Basically yeah. the game is, is big on, you only put certain things in this item, but this item will take up like a four by four square, but it'll hold a hundred items. So you can store things a lot more efficiently. That's like a million on that. I spent like a million to upgrade my storage and then after all of that, all said and told, I probably had like six hundred thousand rubles. Never, I never had more than one hundred five, one point five on me. And like now, I'm almost never below three or four million. And I also will go through spurts where I like I'll be upgrading stuff in my base, and I'm like I'll just go spend two hundred, three hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Like today, I went ahead, I bought like two or three things that were like two hundred k each. I, like, I don't give a shit. I have four million. Oh, right. I only have three point five million. Oh, look, I have four million. The the, the money of the game just is. Com- which again, mm-hmm. you know, all the shit the vendors are selling is all still the same price. Like you can still get decent armor for like forty five thousand yeah, rubles. So worst case scenario, you spend almost all your money, except for like you know five hundred k, and you're like, oh no, I have to play as level fourteen for a minute yes. <laughs> until I make some money. <laughs> and like, and you make money so much. And so like, it would we do runs, and over the night, like we would do a couple PMC runs and a couple scav runs, and I would lose money because mm-hmm. I would die in a few PMC runs, and then to rebuild my PMC. I'd be spending 150 to 200 K to rebuild him with okay stuff, a decent backpack, decent armor, a decent gun. And on the scav runs, I'm only making 80 K because when you can't flea market the shit, you have to vendor it. You're, you make less than half sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm fucking bleeding money over the course of that. That's so what was one of the things that was so frustrating about. It, and I told him is like, all I'm, I view these raids as time and it's just lost. So there's, you know, five minutes to build your character. There's, five minutes to load into the game. We're in the game for 25 minutes and then I died. And then there's the 30 minutes I have to do a different raid and be successful to, to make the, the money. Loss. I just yeah. wasted an hour. Yep. An hour of my life just got pissed away because some dude one shot me in the head. Yeah. And worst thing is, especially with that half hour, like if you just died and never stood a chance, you didn't even have any fun. No, because I it's didn't. Like, I will make negative progress. And if I'm having a good time, it's like, hey, whatever. Because that, to me, is like the the whole point of games is to have fun. Yeah. One of the ways you can have fun is progress, but that's not the only way. Yep. So, like, if you've gotten, you know, you go through a half-hour slog, or like, like a really intense fight, and you're like, that was fucking fun. Yes. But I lost. Who cares? Yeah. But half the time, like, most of the time I die. When you just get double-tapped and you're just fucking out. <laughs> I'm just running along and then my head explodes. Yeah. And so I was playing with Alex one night. And he was, he'd had a rough night where he'd just gotten fucking one tapped like three times in a row. And he was getting really pissed about how fucking ridiculous it is. And I was like, Alex, that's my fucking life in this game. Like, you're really upset because you haven't gotten to play the last couple of raids because you're just running that's along. Oh, you've been doing Like, you turn the corner and then get melted. That's all I fucking do. 
I don't play. Mm-hmm. Or like we were talking about, I'll shoot at people and I'll feel like I'm like the the guy I fought today. We got in a gunfight and he had to back up. That felt great. Yep. Because I got shots on. I fucking hurt him. I did something in this fight and he had to retreat. And re- Tarkov will teach you 100 percent. There is nothing wrong with retreating. Oh, yeah. There is. you know, Because cool, Call of Duty is the exact opposite. Call of Duty, you should never stop moving forward. Win or lose the fight, start keep moving forward, keep moving at each other. Tarkov's the opposite. Like there is one hundred percent nothing wrong with backing up and getting and retreating. But like I never even get to make people do that. Every fight is them shooting at me, me shooting at them and backing up. And I'm backing up and they're moving forward. And I'm backing up and they're moving forward. And they never stop moving forward. And I have to like get in corners and try and heal and I hear them running up and then I get one tapped or I get shot and t- killed. And at least now, that doesn't happen nearly as often. And I'm guessing a big part of it is better gear, better guns, better, better ammo. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a little better at the game. And two, I just thought I was worried about it. Like when I go into a raid and like I get killed and they're still playing, it's like, yeah, whatever. I, I lost some, I got a good gun and some good armor. I've got four more kits ready and I could buy more if I needed it. Yeah. Not a big deal. Yep. Like the game is, um, the game in my opinion really gets good after level 15. And I was telling Matt earlier now that I understand how the XP system in the game works, getting to level 15 isn't that hard. You just you just have to force PMC runs over and over and over and over. And when I started really hammering home PMC runs and hammering home missions, then I started leveling up really fast. I realize now that I wasted, if, if it took 110 hours, which is almost exactly probably what it was, it's probably at least 100 hours to get to level 15, probably half that time was wasted, mm-hmm. at least on scav runs, where I thought I was accomplishing the goal yeah. of leveling up and I wasn't because you still do scav runs as much as you can. It's very much a like it's just a zero to hero kind of where I spawned in with no money and got out with some money. So it's win. That's a win. Yep. And it's a lot easier to play as a scav. It's half the you know two thirds of the enemies on the map are friendly because they're AI scavs. But like I spent days working on leveling up trying to get to these levels and then realizing weeks later that none of that effort counted. The 500 XP there, the 1,000 XP here, none of it mattered. Whereas if, like, the next wipe, <clears throat> which hopefully doesn't t- doesn't come very soon, like, we'll be hammering PMCs until we get to level 15. Mm-hmm. We'll just be... Because that's the actual game. Yeah. That's where I, like, this... I just care about getting to 15. And now, I don't care about doing missions. I don't care. Now I only do scavs. I, that's my favorite way to play, is I only really do scav runs. But when the guys get on and we go do PMC runs, now I'm kitted to the fucking teeth. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, fucking ready to go. And then when I'm playing by myself... Spawn as a scav, go fuck around, have a little fun, because XP means nothing to me now. I have no incentive to get into fights. I have no incentive to go chase people. Like, the gear is good, but I can buy it. Like, if the options are to go kill you and maybe get your gun worth $200,000, maybe, or just exfil with, like, $150,000. Take the hundred fifty. dollars I'll just take the hundred fifty. dollars I'll do that twice and go buy two of your guns. Right. <laughs> like, <clears throat> so... The game is a lot better. Um, I didn't tell you this. I, I caved and bought the premium version. <laughs> and I will tell you, I'm well, I'm not happy that I gave them another $100, which is what I did. I gave them another $100. Wait, what? Yeah, the pre- that's the premium. That's what the premium upgrade was. was a, another $100. Holy fuck. I know. I Oh, don't get me wrong. I shouldn't have. Yeah, well. But I, I didn't say anything. Um, and we all have my things to waste our money on. I've so, spent, uh, I've played like freemium type of games before. Like yeah. I really can't. So I'm, I'm, anything. I'm about a, I'm about 
$35, $140 into this game, which is a lot of money for a game in alpha. That's yeah. been an alpha or beta for seven years. Yeah. It's this is just call it 1.0 and quit leading people on, dude. But uh it's, this it's is what it's the game point is. One, three, point five. Yeah, sure. But um I have I should have all the DLC that ever comes out. I should have the the, the best version that'll ever come out. This is like called the Edge of Darkness. And for reference, like this won't even be available forever. Assuming probably. Sure. But yeah. So I should have the best for I should have everything else the game ever comes out with I should get access to. But what I did it for was one, you upgrade your stash <clears throat> immediately to max. You start off with a 10 by 38, which just for is always full. It's it's I it's even as a scav who like once I kind of started getting my shit figured out without the flea market, is always full. Just a couple good guns, a couple good pieces of armor, a couple good backpacks, it's full. I have no room for anything. Can you put your stuff in a backpack then in yes. your stash? Okay. And you actually can put a backpack in a backpack in a backpack in a backpack. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Now the backpack fills the backpack, but that's a very, like I have one backpack. You can have a pile of backpacks. Yes. And that's, so the the, the generic backpack is called a Barracoot or a Scav backpack. They're the same size. Um, it's a, it's a average size backpack. I have like nine of them at any given time and they're all inside of each other. So anytime you need one, you can just pull. I just one. grab one. Yep, you just grab one. Super easy. Um, and you can also all your tack vests have slots, so you can put things in your tack vest in your. So they don't really take up space as much because you can put, like, I have a couple tack vests, and those are my food tack vests. So that tack vest just holds food. If I ever decided I wanted a monster tack vest to run in, I can. I have it, but it's 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 actually that particular one's gaining me space because mm-hmm. it's a four by five or whatever, but it holds more food than that. So. You, you get storage tricks there pretty easily. Um, but you upgrade from a 10 by 38 to a 10 by 68. So you immediately get more than double. Um, you get a bunch of intangibles. Not intangibles, perishables or usables where like you get some good ammo. You get some good guns. You get a bunch of shit you'll lose anyway. Yeah. You get a bunch of healing items, which are all useless anyway. And I'll tell you why in a second. The reason I bought it. I, I paid $100 into this game for pretty much two things. One of them was a full-size stash. Because the game just gets infinitely better when I don't have to worry about scraping together space to get stuff in. And I don't have I can't keep this thing I want to keep. I have to sell a thing I like to keep this thing I I kinda like. And I don't that, do that. So quick aside, and I don't want to interrupt your Fine. train of thought too much, but that's literally it may not be your first experience with it, but that is like loot game 101. Yeah. <laughs> where like that's how they get you, is they go, because the way it works is whatever inventory you have, you will fill up. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's why well, <laughs> like going you through. Double, you could double it tomorrow, and in a week, it eventually will, it be, full. will be filled up again because yeah. you'll just stop selling shit yeah. and just hold on to well, it. I, I keep finding decent stuff. Like my bar for what has to be sold goes down a little bit. I can keep the stuff that's decent enough. Yep. Um, I've already gotten it to like I, I trimmed it. Back. I've been keeping it about half. I've already got. I already got to like two thirds today, and I had to do a bit of a mm-hmm. purge. But yeah, I got to. I already took it to two thirds full, and I was like, Eesh. but. The other thing I bought it for, so I bought it probably for that. But the other thing I bought it for, primarily in my opinion, is in Tarkov, you haven't called it, it's your secure container. You start with an alpha case, which is a two by two. Um, and you can't lose that. So you go on a raid, whatever come, whatever you put in that comes with you. That's it's, They call it your meat wallet. Yep. I think I've told you about it. Yeah, you so told you, me. I don't know if you've mentioned it on the podcast. You get it no matter what. Yeah. And so like it's pretty common. You go in, you find a really nice item, you put it in there. Or if you want like some things that are kind of expensive but are really helpful to your raid, you can you can come in with them. An expensive key or a nice healing item. You get a two by two. Um, in the game, if you basically beat the game and you do all the missions, you get 
um, like the Sigma case, which is like like a three by four, mm-hmm. which is fucking huge. But you have to beat the game, which is absurd. Um, the uh, Edge of Darkness version gets you like the Kappa, which is, I think, a three by three. And having a three by three where you get to just put really nice stuff in it to go into your raid is a game changer as well. Mm-hmm. So like in mine, I used to have a two by two. And what I do is I would put in, I'd put in like one or two decent healing items. Most of your decent healing items, like an AFAC is a one is a one square. It's 400 healing. It stops heavy bleeding and light bleeding. I take one of those. I would take um, a tourniquet usually, or some painkillers. So a tourniquet. No, I, I, I don't need a tourniquet. I take the splint splint. Here's a broken leg or whatever, a broken bone. So there's two. I would take maybe some painkillers because if your guy's hurt, he'll be, he'll talk. He'll keep like groaning in pain, which tells mm-hmm. him where you are. So, and something else. I'd take something else in there, but then it's full. And so now to take more shit, I got to put it in my might lose it. Yep. Well, now with a three by three, you get to just take way better shit in and you're just way more kitted for every fight. So instead, so instead of now having an AFAC that does 400 healing and here's two status effects, I have a grizzly pack. And for reference, they cost like 30,000 rubles. So nothing. Yep. They hear they heal eighteen hundred health, and they cure everything. The only thing they don't do is the painkiller. Mm-hmm. So heavy bleeding, light bleeding, broken so you bones. Need one medical kit. Mm-hmm. It's a two. By, it's, it's a two by two. So. but it fills all the slots. Yep. And it has again eighteen. Your your character has like three hundred health, three or four hundred health. So eighteen hundred. I take that some painkillers, and then that leaves room for a key ring full of a bunch of keys. So you can have like all the lock. You could take keys in and not worry about losing them. You, I mean, half the keys in the fucking game. Well, half of them. But there's, I've sold many keys for well over a hundred thousand rubles mm-hmm. because they open a really special door. And well, you can take them in, not worry about losing them. What else do I take? And like, and I still have a couple spaces left for shit. On top of all that, with a grizzly being relatively cheap, and the painkillers being relatively cheap and all that. So if I get in stuff and I find really good shit, I can just put those in my backpackers who gives a shit and now i have like six spaces for premium premium loot that i cannot lose so items like there's plenty of items that like this item sells for more than half a million or or 800 or into the meat wallet yeah just right in there and say and going into every game with like your healing just rock fucking solid is a bit of a game changer as well that's what i paid a hundred dollars for i paid a hundred dollars for for double stash and for two and a half times the alpha pouch and I've already been happy I did it. Now, part of that was the reason I did that. I didn't do that just out of the blue. I did that because I redid my insurance recently. It was mm-hmm. kind. Of, it was kind of funny. On my birthday, my insurance guy called, and I he left a voicemail. But he was like, "Hey, you know, you should review your insurance every year. You know, give us a call. We can go over it, see what's going on." And I've never done that before. And I was I had some time off for my birthday, so I said, "Fuck it," and I called him, and we changed a bunch of shit. And I noticed today I was, I was checking my thing. My monthly insurance has gone down by almost half. Mm-hmm. So it went from like 200 a month for all my things together to like 110. And I got a great big old check in the mail for like 300 bucks as a return of premium for the year. I don't know how that works considering I should have paid. I paid for the, I don't know. But basically I, I got the 300. I was like, well, I'll take a little bit of that and I'll buy myself something nice. That's why I splurged and bought this really expensive version of the game. But I'm really happy I did. I It's been really nice having the extra big stash because I've gotten some really nice big stuff I want to keep. And I've gotten some uh, some really nice uses out of the extra big alpha case. So I've been really, I have been very happy on the purchase I made, even though it's 
it's very difficult to spend another hundred dollars on this game. Yeah, you bought an expansion pack for a game. I did. I bought. I that's, bought a. I bought a pretty big DLC. Yeah, I mean that's basically what it is. Yeah, that's. It's uh, then well, my 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 worry wasn't in my worry was that I would regret it, and that's the worth every purchase. But yeah. like that's so I put a thing in our Discord, and I was like, guys, I'm pretty close to buying this. Are we gonna keep playing this game? For sure, for sure. Are we gonna keep playing it? Because that's I'm gonna get pretty upset. If I if I if I buy this and then in two weeks we move on to a different game. I've struggled through this game for the past month and a half and now we fucking leave. After you drop another hundred bucks yes. on it. And Alex, the guy, he's been really digging it and he says he's probably gonna start streaming it. He wants to be a Tarkov streamer in his part time. He's a stay at home dad. Mm-hmm. So he wants to start doing that. And I was like, okay, he's probably gonna be playing a bunch. I can play with him a bunch. We'll do it. And I'm happy I've done it. It's been a really, really huge quality of life improvement, even though it cost me a lot of money to do so. Yeah. The the so you what bought it would you originally buy it for i think like 30 bucks give or take to be perfectly honest i mean fuck dude they're selling like game of the year like special edition games now for fucking 100 dollars. i know new anyways yeah you like can, yeah the yeah the i i because I, I got i got it on with the wipe they put it on sale and then mm-hmm. a buddy of mine gave me some money towards it he helped me i basically helped him buy minecraft so he in exchange helped me buy tarkov so I probably spent like twenty ish, twenty five dollars, and then a hundred. I spent one hundred and twenty five bucks. Yes, in reality, that's a premium version of the new Call of Duty. When the new Call of Duty comes out, and you want to get the hyper premium version, and that's with what all, you did, right? With, you bought, you yes. bought. It comes. What you bought has like the season pass, effectively. Yes. All the season passes yeah. forever. I have the limited edition, forever version season pass. Yeah. So well, there you go. Yeah, it's. I don't. While it does hurt to spend one hundred twenty five dollars on a game, especially one that I fucking hate sometimes. Um, fucking know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> But again, I get like it's complete level 15, man. It is a complete. And I don't I don't know if my mindset has changed because I'm just it can't be because like, well, I'm 15 hours more into it, but it's just completely different. It is so different now. Well, in a lot of I mean, that makes sense in a lot of games that expect you to play for a long time. You have that kind of like tipping point where like, for example, if we're going to talk about like Final Fantasy 11 or Mm -hmm. wow. Like getting your first character to max level is like super important because like that un- that it allows you to farm more efficiently. Yeah. You have access to all the content. You can do the stuff that actually makes you good money and not the stuff you can do for money at level 30. Yeah. Like it's the same type of game. Like to be perfectly honest, Tarkov basically reminds me of a, a first person shooter MMO. Mm-hmm. It doesn't quite have it because it's not like one big persistent world. Yeah. But like it has a lot of the other elements where there's trading and there's item loss and like there's caught like yeah it's the same type real risk a lot correct real risk like that kind of stuff those are all fairly common elements to mmos and that's one of the things i've talked about a lot where like they're really frustrating and until you get for lack of a better word let's i was gonna say hooked let's say until you've become fully invested in it yeah they seem all like detractors once you're invested in it you realize that the reason you play the game is having stakes makes the the dangerous and difficult moments more exciting and more rewarding when you pull them off makes sense it does so like but it's like when you first start playing and you're like this game fucking sucks and i'm not talking about because oh i said those words a lot (laughs) but like just in general you're like you know you're bitching about it it's like those mechanics and that's again we've talked about several with tarkov that i think are bad mechanics but like we're going to talk about for example wow like say you were playing wow on a pvp server Mm mm-hmm and like, yeah, you you walk outside, you get the first zone, you're protected. You get to the next zone, 
and some max level dude's just trolling you. Yep. That's really fucking annoying. But like one of the other things that having a PvP server allows is emergent gameplay where you sometimes just get into these huge fucking faction battles over nothing and that's really exciting. Yeah. Or like like I got into a we had this huge like uh guild like full scale fucking battle in uh I think it's Darkshire. It's outside of Stormwind, a couple zones away, and there was like 60 people on each side just fucking killing each other, respawning and going back in and it was just this huge clusterfuck. That'd be pretty awesome. And it, it's really fun, but in order to have that, you have to have the cost of yeah, every town you're going to run into some assholes who abuse this system. Yeah. And it's just a matter of whether or not you're willing to go through some bullshit in order to have some really fun gameplay yeah. that's really rewarding, but it's also really punishing. And it's the same thing with like Dark Souls or like you don't feel that fucking adrenaline rush when you beat a fucking blood boss in Bloodborne if they're easy. That's true. Yeah, if it's if it's a given that you're going to win. If it's a given that you're going to win, yeah. you're not going to feel a whole lot of reward for beating them. Yep. And Tarkov has some of that yeah. some of those did, elements in it. I definitely get that like cuz I I fucking love it's I this is what Tarkov has done. I love ruining someone's fucking day oh, now. Oh fuck yeah, you do. Now like, you get to be the big dick in the fucking game. <laughs> now, you're like now guess in what, my motherfucker. Defense, <laughs> see, I'm never the one who knocks. I don't go fuck with people and I mm -hmm. I I play every map relatively pacifist. It's fine. We can work together. I have no desire to ruin your day but like when we're doing something and a fucking pmc rolls up on us and starts shit i love ending his fucking day yep fuck you and fuck your raid yep like we had to do that one time we were in factory which factory is my favorite map which the other guys don't like it as much because it's it's obscenely hectic yeah which i mean for a game like tarkov is can be a real detractor because i invested money in this raid and a guy spawned behind me great it's a high variance map let's say oh that. definitely <laughs> but like so what's funny is with these new guys, which they're not unbearable to play with. And what's kind of cool is you can cap at five, a group of five. Okay, well, factory, what it says is between four and six PMCs can spawn in. So when we spawn in with five, yep. we just own the fucking map. Couple dudes are fucked. Oh my God, it's awful. <laughs> but so the five of us, and so again, this is cool emergent gameplay. It's come from this game because it's really difficult. Again, something I've learned from this game, well, I'm not saying I'm, more prepared tactically for any event. I've learned a lot of what matters in a tactical situation. Um, talking, I, which this game, you don't get in this game because we talk on Discord, so we mm -hmm. can just have open conversation, but seriously, because the AI scavs talk to each other and it is the worst thing you could ever do in a combat situation is make any noise. Yep. Like, We'll be doing fine. And some of them will be like, oh, and we're like, oh, cool. All of us will turn to the door. Okay, we know where that fucker is. <laughs> so talking is the worst. Noise of any kind is the worst thing you can do. And it is incredibly difficult to keep track of everybody. Yep. You get five people running around. Now, we're not a tight tactical team, which those other guys are a big part of the problem. Like we'd spawn in and they'd fucking run off by themselves. And I'd say out loud, well, you guys are going to well, we're going to shoot you guys in a minute. Yep, because you're gonna come around the corner. I'm not gonna know yes. who the fuck you are. So here's how. So how do you mitigate that, Matt? Well, you're supposed to talk to each other. Yes, but what's a, what's a, what's a way you can mitigate that? We have a uniform. Oh, yep. We wear. So there you go. It, we all, our backpack is always different, but we have we always wear blue armbands and a flame face mask. So you just <laughs> if you see anyone that doesn't have a fire on their face, you light them the fuck up. We have we have a uniform and we'll load in and we'll be like, who the fuck's not wearing a face mask? And they'll back out and put one on because they forgot to. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but like it it fucking matters. I know. 
it and so like we were playing in factory and we were doing some shit and a pmc rolled around the corner and my first thought was he's not wearing a face mask <laughs> and we shot the shit out of each other and i killed him and i was like fuck you bitch yeah fuck you and fuck your raid give me your stuff yep it felt great take all of his shit and he's yeah he wanted to, he wanted to come fuck with us and he did not stand a chance and I'm at the point of Tarkov where I get to do that sometimes. Not very often, but sometimes I get to do that. I've won a handful of fights here and there, and it does feel good to... As opposed to getting just curb stomped. Yes, and, I, and, I, and I've and i lost plenty of fights where it's like, oh, man, he got me. He pushed in, and he ended up getting me. That sucks. But, like, we had a firefight. We shot each other. I shot him. He shot me. And maybe because I hit him, Alex was able to kill him because he was wounded. Those are fine. I never hated those. I hated the... Is that someone over there dead? Oh, I was... I'll end, we'll end this pre-show ramble on this. I was so mad. I was so, so angry. So we were in, it's called Crack House and it's called Crack House because it's a drug den on this map. And do you know the old bowling alley uh, glass windows that were like, the glass is like made of squares that are like Mm -hmm. eight, like five inches thick, right? This building has two sets of those. And I was standing behind both of them watching. It's, it's a building called, uh, it's not Big Red. Oh, what's it called? It's one of the, it's what we call it. And it's a pretty common camping spot. And I was like, oh, I, I see someone there. Because there's there's actually mounted machine guns. And so I was kind of like eye spying it. And the scab, the AI scab on the mounted machine gun shot me in the head through both panes of glass. And I was like, come on. Are you kidding me? That's the reason I felt pretty safe staring at him through the is because there's no bullet on the planet from an from a mounted machine gun that's getting through 10 inches of glass. Not to mention, like, they don't really, like, I guess you could have, and I guess if you were watching him, that he could see you in theory, but, like, like we have some of that glass in our garage. It's unpo- Oh, don't get me wrong. It's pretty, it's fairly thing is, opaque. Oh, I've looked from that building at Crack House, and you cannot see through the first set of windows at yeah. all. Let at, alone the second. You know, on the second yeah that's an ai the ais in the game are a little cheesy shockingly they're not super tuned um it's kind of funny like you get you get fucked up by scavs the number of times we've been playing and like like uh weston our buddy will walk out into an area and like a scav will never say anything and the first shot he fires headshots him (laughs) it's like (laughs) are you fucking kidding me the other thing about super annoying so again if you kill a scav scavs will aggro you Mm -hmm. if i kill a scav on one corner of the map around nobody else, every scav on the map is now aggroed. Yep. Which is like, come on, game. That's a little ridiculous, isn't it? But yeah. Yep. So that's what, and that was one of those where I was like, are you fucking kidding me, game? That's a little ridiculous. It's a, we're a hyper realistic, really. Because I, I remember watching Discovery Channel many years ago and they were talking about trained military snipers when they had to shoot through a windshield, they sh- two of them, it, it, it takes two people. Because it's the the chance of ricochet is too high. Mm-hmm. Like shooting through a windshield, the first bullet is probably going to ricochet or deform a little, and it won't work. So they have they would time it so that both people shoot at the at the windshield at the same time. Yeah, because the first one probably won't make it through right, not reliably. And he just shot through ten inches of glass. Did, was it? Did you watch the replay? Was it one shot? There's no replays. Gotcha. Um, but it'd I, be different if, like, if he's on a giant mounted, like, yes, if he machine, broke the glass and it just like just flooded the thing with bullets, and you he just did got, not. Yeah, I, he shot either once or twice because <laughs> I was watching. I watched the muzzle flash. Uh huh. He he shot either once or twice at me, and they he shot me in the head and killed me. And I was yep. like, come on, that's fucking, that's <laughs> a little ridiculous. Oh shit. But it's 
it was I, I level 15 so like i wasn't mad about losing the, the other, another trick you can do talking about um insurance i'm sorry another tangent but it's kind of a funny thing you can do and we've caught him once in a while so let's say you and i are playing and you get killed and you're like man i really like that gun that sucks what i'll do is i'll go pick your gun up and i'll go throw it in a bush so nobody can find it no one will find it you'll never see it no one's over there looking at it no one's yep. looking at the fucking ground for a and gun you don't have to get out with it no. you just have to just hide well, if it. i get out with it now it's mine yeah and it's i mean i could take it in and drop it for you but now it's a pain in the ass yeah Whereas if I just take your gun and go throw it in a bush, hide it. Yeah, no. And so that's what we do. Is like if we get in a fight and you get down, I'll be like, so what? Like, what do you care about? And you're like, oh, I really like that gun. It's a good gun. Okay, and I'll go pick it up and find a corner of the map and huck it in. And now no one gets it. Yep. Well, and I imagine once you get a decent amount of money, you basically just permanently have all your shit insured. Yes. Oh, I mean, even even as a even under fifteen, because it's just one of those things. Like a lot of times it comes back, especially if a scav kills you because they loot. Period. They they loot haphazardly whether they loot you or not, but uh, it just it costs less than buying a new one by a lot. So yeah, just insure it. Um, yeah, it's, it's take all your shit and throw it in the corner. You'll get it back. Yep. The one of the nice things the game does talk about like having all your shit. You get to make pre-builds and auto buy. Oh, gotcha. So like for the SKS I have, I basically went th- took the time and I pre-built the SKS I like and I saved it as a pre-build. So now I can go buy and uh, it's an LP SKS. And then I go build this and it'll say, you need all these items. And I can just go buy, 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 assemble. And it'll make it for you. Gotcha. You can even do that with, you could do a kit where you're like, I want to spawn in with this gun, with this backpack, with this armor, with this headset and this, and this stuff in my backpack. And it'll go, I load that kit. You don't have these things. Buy, 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 buy. Now you have these things. It just buys them from the auction house. You have to click the buy button. Well, yeah, but, that, but yeah, it, it, that's it what finds them all. Gotcha. It goes and finds them and puts them in a list. And you go, you click, 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 click. Does click. it just buy the cheapest person? Yes, gotcha. it buys the cheapest, which is why it's, which is why the auction house actually works so well. Like if you go, like I'll go through the auction house, like I'll go through regular purges. We're all, especially like my, my junk box, which is all the, the stuff you can use. So you get uh, like duct tape or uh, a drill or whatever. That all goes in the junk box, which is like a 10 by 10. It's a huge, or like a 15 by 10. And as it, when it gets about half full, I'll sort it and I'll go through and start selling stuff. And usually, as long as you make yours the cheapest or close, as fast as you can list it, it will sell. Which you only, you can only have two things for sale at a time. Mm-hmm. You could sell 10 of one thing, but you can only sell two separate things. And literally as fast as I can list them, they will sell. And I'll just go through and purge and... Like, and after a raid, I'll pull all my stuff out and I'll go, is anything here worth decent money? And you'll just start listing it. And it's like 20K, 80K, 50K, 20K, 80K, and it'll sell, 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 gotcha. sell, sell. So you're effectively selling them to the, like, you're, you're not actually selling it to an NPC, but you're almost, effectively, it's the same. Yeah. It's pretty liquid. As long as you just make yourself the cheapest. And it's like, oh, you know, the the, the cheapest is 28K, 27K. And like, make offer, ding, sold. <laughs> and just pile up in the bottom and it's awesome. I'd say it's, it's a completely different game. And if you're thinking about playing Tarkov, um, don't yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> start off with maybe really, really think about it. Get some friends because playing that game by yourself, I still don't PMC by myself. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. I will not PMC alone because very few people do. You are at you just such an get picked off. abhorrent disadvantage when you're by yourself. Even a two stack isn't that great. Mm-hmm. Like three. The number of times we were rolling around as, as a five stack and the number of times we would have, we would see someone and they would shoot at us, and then we'd be like, where the fuck are they? And they're gone. They realize, it's like, it's like, there's yeah, five dudes with fucking fire on their face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That's he, the other advantage of having a uniform, uh-huh. is like, you can 
kind of like intimidate people to oh, some fuck degree. Yeah. Oh, uh, dude, when we go in as a five stack, we get in so few fights because mm-hmm. I guarantee it. They see us and they go one or two. Okay, okay, three, four. F- fuck this, I'm out. Right. <laughs> Absolutely not. Especially on factory. Like we'll go through factory and like because factory will spawn all five of us, maybe one or two other PMCs and a handful of scavs. We just run around. We're not like creeping corners and like clearing rooms. We just we just run around and kill everything. Mm-hmm. So then could you imagine spawning in later and there's just five fucking dudes running around in the middle, not shooting each other. Like, oh, cool. I'm just fucked. Yep. You spawn dead. <laughs> yes. There's no chance, which sucks for them. But fuck you. I've been there. Yep. Yeah. You just have you have you have less than zero chance of making this happen. And we it's happened multiple times where we're on factory and we, we usually split in the teams of two or three. But we have the whole map clear, so we're not scared of anything. And again, we we do pretty good callouts of what side of the map are you on. I'm over here, you're over there. And so, like, is anyone? What usually revolves around is is anyone in tunnels? No. Bang, 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 bang. Because <laughs> hey, I saw someone down there, and we are the one who knocks today. Yep. It's fun. As it gets you, if you have some friends that play Tarkov, and can help you get going, and you can get past the learning curve, uh, it's it is a lot of fun, and it's. You know, force those PMC runs and get that experience so you can get to level 15 and the game is completely different. The game is completely different and it's much better. The game would, again, the game would be more than twice as good again if it had a PvE version. Where you could spawn into a map and even if the scavs were better or more, or, or there's more of them, but it's, you know, your group and you've got a map full of enemy scavs and your goal is to do all this normal stuff. Or even, you can't even do missions, but just to go in and play, it'd be a million times better. Mm-hmm. Just go fight scavs and just methodically work through an area and clear scavs out and kill them and lose. Well, the big thing is learn the map without getting fucking domed all the learn, time. Yeah. Be able to learn the map and not have to deal with people that know where everything is. Cause again, it's, it seems like there's probably like 50 or 60% of the stuff that almost always spawns. And so it's people reliably know where all that stuff is. And there's areas where it's, you just, you know, that there's good loot in this area, good loot in that area. So there's, Areas that people hit and there is there people learn where the spawns are. Like the number of times we've been moving and it's like, I'm starting to learn it where it's like, I know for a fact that at this point in the game, we are usually in that corner building. If we spawn on the other side of this parking garage, mm-hmm. that's where we, that's, that's how long, this is how long it takes us to get there. And I know that because when we get there is usually when someone walks through the walkway from this side, which we're about 20 feet from that walkway. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I know there's people there. I almost promise there's people there and you don't get to know that until you are in that room and you die 10 times to some fucker who walks in through here or the other side or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Getting He's to learn his that, way through his, the map and getting to learn, getting to learn the map and the, where everything is with the AI would be really nice. And again, the, the reason I keep coming back to the game is the gameplay is really fun. The people, it, people ruin it. The gameplay is amazing. It's amazing. They could just, just get the people part figured out. By removing them. <laughs> Do you know what people have definitely got it figured out? Who's that? Our patrons. Uh, every week we give a huge, huge shout out to our patrons. Patreon.com forward slash Cantor Cartel. Shout out to Emperor Asphalt. Emperor and Asphalt who put our stuff on Reddit every single week. Even, I, it's funny, I put it up on Monday and I think I think Asphalt said he had it up on Reddit like 20 minutes later. Dude yeah. was fucking on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ramblin' Rogue, Ashley, Eric, Monowolf. Ethan, CJ, Ted, Mumbledown, Rob M, Limit of Questions, Derek T, His Forest, and Jasper. Thank you all very much. Uh, and I'm going to say at the beginning of the episode this time, so I don't forget, we do have episode 100 coming up. I believe this is 97. 
Make sure and tune in for episode 100. We've got a huge announcement coming. Uh, we also have a AMA episode scheduled. So send us your questions, anything you guys would like to ask us within reason. And we're going to kind of spend the episode talking about uh, the podcast and answering your guys' questions and kind of laying out the, the future of how things are going to keep going. So we are super excited about that. Uh, Cantrip Cartel at Gmail and on Facebook and Instagram and all that. You send us a question anywhere, we will get it. We will add it, but Matt, I think we are ready. How is legacy looking? If you like tempo decks, great. <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it a day's wasteland format again? Uh, to be fair, it has, I mean, when has it not been a day's wasteland for that? Now I will say, I'm, I'm just looking at this top eight here for like, it's the legacy challenge for a day's wasteland format. There's a lot of combo in the top eight. Yeah. Well, to be fair, that's true. But first and second days wasteland, sixth days, days wasteland. wasteland. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so it's either combo or days wasteland. Bowmasters forty one percent, Merktide Regent twenty five percent. So <gasps> who would have thought? Because we hated hated Merktide so much, and now we're complaining about a card who has almost twice as much play. Yeah, that I mean that kind of puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the thing is, they're frequently played alongside of each other. Yeah. Um, we do have a couple, there's one, We I don't know if we talked, we've talked about the card, but uh, it actually top aided this week. So we've got Rug Delver, and it looks like they finally decided that Tarmogoyf was not good enough. So they made another green creature for so people they to play. What you're saying is they realized. No, they decided. <laughs> In their defense, Questing Druid is a very good card. Yes. Um, I, dude, when I saw that, I could not believe that they took... A really good card. That's that just straight up two cards they just put on each other. <laughs> already a really, and they cost the same. I know. <laughs> it was a. There was already a really good card that they just slapped a decent creature onto. Yep, a creature that when it was originally printed was printed at rare and saw some play. Uh huh. Like it was just like, oh well, that creature's good, but it's it's clearly outclassed now. Yeah. How can we make it better? We're just gonna put another card on top. I of could it. not believe they put because most of those effects, and I'm sure there is an instant one. But I mean, most of them are sorcery. 90% of that effect is a sorcery. So that's a huge power creep on the exile two cards. Play it till your next end step. Making that an instant was a huge power creep. And then just slapping a creature on the back end of it was another huge yeah, power a creep. Very solid. Yeah. And it's not just a one, one. If that was just a, a two mana one, one, like that'd be understandable. It's not. It's a two mana one, one that becomes a two, two, a three, three, a four, four, and then a five, five. Right. So anywho, we've got Mad Max Ernest. Bringing it home with whatever we're calling this blue-black tempo list. <laughs> the Grief Bowmaster. I mean, I guess blue-black scam. Yeah. Too, I guess. Because you've got you've got your you've got your grief and your trolls to get into the graveyard to reanimate them. Yeah. So you have you have, you have a four of reanimator package, sort of, to go with uh your Orcus Bowmasters and Merktide Regent tempo package. Yeah. So We've talked about this deck quite a bit. Like the problem is we keep running into these issues because it's the same fucking decks over and over and they're not really changing a whole lot now that Bowmaster is kind of like we we are getting a few change ups, but uh -huh. like they're coming to other decks. This list is pretty solid. Uh the we've got one Narset uh Parter of Veils in there. Um I am really curious as to why. I think I think Narset is like um it's nothing wrong. Ignore me picking up my keys on the microphone. Um, it's just like 
Narsta is one of those cards that I think fits into pretty much any legacy deck that can cast it. If you're looking for just a solid three drop that replaces itself or goes up a card and critically hits all the format, pretty much all the format. Like just the static ability of your opponents only draw one card a turn is probably almost worth three mana in general. And the fact that it's a mini dig through, it's basically a dig through time on top of that. You just have two phenomenal cards that while I get that this is a weird deck to have it in. That's what I'm getting at. Like I also, whenever I see Narset, I, I don't look at it twice too much just because like that'd be like if I saw a deck that had blue and white and was running Teferi and it's like, well, there's no synergies at all with three mana Teferi in this deck, but it's three mana Teferi and like, well, the difference is traditionally speaking, these tempo decks don't run three drops at all. It's not so much of which three drop are you going to run? They almost never run. Mm -hmm. That's the weird thing to me. Like Narset, I 100% get like why the card is good in legacy. And it sees plenty of play, like Narset yeah. sees a ton of play, but like it's pretty rare, especially in the main deck, that you'd see a tempo deck running a three drop, um, especially sorcery speed three drop. They have been running Sauron's Ransom, which is a three drop, but it's yeah. at least an instant. Mm-hmm. But like tapping out on turns three or four is dangerous. Now that changes a little bit when you can grief them and strip their hand. Maybe. And, you know what I mean? Like it's just, it is, to be fair, it is just one. Um, and they have one in the side too. And I'm kind of curious if this wasn't just a, I want two of these in my 75, where am I going to put them? Yeah. Cause that does happen where it's just like, you know, you kind of, sometimes it's the opposite where it's like, I know I want these cards. I like in a lot of matchups, I'd prefer to have them in the main, mm-hmm. but the main is kind of like locked in cause it's a synergy deck. So like, I'm just going to kick them to the side as opposed to running, um, more than 60 cards, which, mm-hmm. I don't know about Sunday, but the modern challenge on Saturday was fucking wild. Uh, that enchantment that we talked about, the like the beanstalk thing is fucking everywhere. And there's like at some point between 60 and 75, there's a correct number for these four and five color Omnath decks. And people were trying everything. Gotcha. So you just went through the fucking list and it was like 65 card Omnath, 70 card Omnath, 62 card Omnath. It's like, no, so no one knows what the right number is. No one knows what it is, but it doesn't seem like it's 60. And it also doesn't matter that much either, I guess. Correct. They're all, they're all and putting they were numbers fucking up. everywhere, like all through the top eight. Now, I don't know what Sunday was looking like. I haven't looked at that yet, but it just kind of, we've talked about it multiple times. We're like, hey, you know, 60 cards isn't necessarily the correct thing to do it more than likely is but there are reasons in which yeah. you can go up it is no longer this hard hard ceiling of like don't you dare ever cross that line and it's like i disagree with that completely right well the 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 argument the most basic argument is by introducing a 61st card you are by definition lowering the average of your cards the average yes. power the average strength of your cards under That's, the under the assumption that the 61st card I like well, the, is is not on the power level. It would be or consistency level. Well, the the thing is, like, say you had a that would that could be true if you had every card in your deck was tens and you were adding another 10. Yes. But by definition, your 61st card probably isn't a 10. So like, and if it was a 10 and you had, then you would that then that card would be in the main and you'd pull a different card out that was weaker than it. You know what I mean? I I that's I, the math argument that is the understood wisdom yes and yeah my argument against that has kind of been like we just have so many tens now 
I think you could have 60, well, not counting lands, but you could have 62 tens. Right. Well, and there's, I think there's two things. There's one, there's the power creep argument where we're just including so many cards. If you have 20 cards that can kill your opponent or 30 cards that can kill your opponent and they're all relatively the same, you're not really diluting your yeah, pool, right? Exactly. The second argument to me is, and this one's a little more subtle, it's even if that case is true, where by having a 61st card, that reduces your average power level of your cards, correct? And the likelihood yes. you're going to draw your best cards. Yes. That can all be true, but the util the added utility of having an additional card that you have access to yep. can outweigh that cost. By a lot. Especially it's if you just have, a trade-off. If you have any way to fetch a given card in your deck. Correct. So like I've never bought that argument. Like it it I buy the argument as far as the numbers go. Yeah. Because it's just kind of one of those like axioms where it's like by having more things you probably yeah. if you have a variety of things and you increase the number of them the yep. average is well, going to change and the argument that every time you add more things to your deck your likelihood of drawing the unique thing goes down that's a, that's a, that's a yep. given to that it makes that's 100% a to. sense that's that makes sense yep but a lot of these decks that i see going into like I, you could try the 62 card 63 cards 61 card elves you're not adding a unique thing they all do the same so it doesn't matter. You're not trying to draw the one unique thing. You're trying to draw more of the thing. Well, and here's the deal. The reduction in likelihood you're going to draw something is also a benefit. Can be. I don't want to draw Collector Oath every time in every game. Yep. What I want to do is have one Collector Oath that I can Green Sun Zenith out when I want it. And I actually don't want to draw it. Yeah. Like, it's pretty rare that, like... Obviously, in the you know, if you're playing against, you know, oh, you get lucky. Yeah, you're gonna draw it in the right matchup at the right time. Yeah. That's gonna happen. What's far more likely to happen is you go, oh, look at that green sun zenith. Yeah, I'm gonna green sun zenith well, out a collector oaf. Yeah, on turn three, you realize, oh, a green sun hoses my or a collector oaf hoses my opponent. Right. Good thing I have one. Cool. Now then, there's the other argument, which, from what I understand, is actually the biggest reason why this is being done. And that these games go so long, you actually want more cards in your deck because you're drawing so many cards, but you kill your opponent so slow that decking is actually a concern. Yep. So you need to have more cards in your deck so you don't deck yourself by the time you kill your opponent because you're drawing so many cards with this fucking up the beanstalk thing uh -huh. and the elementals and shit that you're just like, you're going to deck yourself if you each just have 60. Well, that was a thing with... um. I think it's when Endurance came out, or there was there was a phase around the time in Legacy with Endurance where the control decks were really good and the control mirrors, like that endurancing yourself was your win con. Right. Like you, you just would, mill them. You would counter you just, Yeah, you would counter their endurances and force yours through so you could shuffle your library back in and now I have sixty cards and you have fifteen. Right. And that's your win con. Yep. And I've got you beat because yeah. I don't have I all I have is answers and I'm gonna keep drawing them yeah. and you I ha guarantee you I have more answers yep. than you have threats. Yep. And at this point in the game, the only thing that matters is your endurances. That's nothing else really matters. It's yep. me stopping your endurances. And that's the same thing here where, yeah, going up on, that's the whole, the classic, like when you're sideboarding against Mill, you don't sideboard in 15, but like I, when I'm playing Pioneer and I'm playing against Mill, it ha I'll side in an extra four or five cards. Yeah. Because it happens plenty often where I win the game with like four cards in library. Like an extra, I just, you, you get to just start the game with four more life. Right. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, why wouldn't and especially, you? As long as they're not dead cards. As long as not dead. Yeah, as long as they do something. I don't prioritize my cuts that hard against a mill deck when, like, I if they're just more threats, just more ways to end the game, and it's a little more life. Yep. So, yeah, that's obviously a little modern tangent in the middle of a uh, legacy, but 
um, first and second are the, basically the same deck. So they did, do they both have the Narset? No. So. The, the winner played Narset. <clears throat> um, second place did not. Um, well, that's clearly what the design factor was then. Clearly, we can to deduce. To be fair, it could be. Correlation like, is causation. Because the fact of the matter is, like, it's not that, and I, I want to be clear about this, it's not that I think Narset is a bad card. It is, it's just unusual to see a three, a sorcery speed three drop in a tempo deck. Yeah. Well, especially but if you're, if you're in the finals and like you're playing a mirror and so, it's a fucking blue mirror and you have Narset and they don't, you're now obviously Narset pulls double duty as a hate piece and a card advantage engine, but it definitely is one of those things where like, if you just wanted a hate piece, you'd probably run Hall Breacher. If you just wanted a card advantage engine, you'd probably just run another Sauron. And so just want both. That clearly he very that person very specifically must want a hate piece that is card advantage. Yep. And on top of that, it's card advantage that doesn't actually draw cards, which is not like the end of the world, but yep. like it well, does, it's another yep. thing. Sa- and Sauron's ransom doesn't either, but it is yes, it is <clears throat> helps you with your bowmasters. You do go and up on cards. You without still get feeding. to do it. Through your opponent's Narset, if God forbid they have one. Or their bow, I know their bow, like it just, well, that's it, what it I mean, like, it doesn't trigger Bowmaster, like it gets around all that shit. Yeah. Gets around Hole Breacher, gets around another Narset, doesn't trigger Hole uh, Bowmasters, like you're just good to go. Yep. So, in the mirror, it's probably, it. there's a solid chance it played off, or paid off. Obviously, we didn't watch them play. Nope. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if that actually came up. Third place, we've got Oops All Spells. That's crazy that, Oops All Spells, this thing didn't exist six months ago. You Nothing know, like a, like yes, yeah, yeah, yeah it was around, but like, but like come on, we would have shit our pants if Oops All Spells came in third place. Well, you know, well, top, semifinals. It, it, I think it top eighted last week. Too, it did, yeah. So it's two weeks in a row. Yeah, Oops All Spells. Do you remember been... if it was the same guy? Uh, I have no idea. I guess I can click on Krolovsky, but like I'll I'll go through. I mean, it's it's Oops All Spells. There's not much going on here. Like the biggest reason I'm guessing why this deck has picked up in popularity, we said last week was it doesn't draw any cards. Like if if half the meta is going to be around is going to be at uh, pointed at bowmasters or answering bowmasters or whatever the deck the combo deck that doesn't draw a single extra card is probably in a decent spot. Yeah, it just doesn't really care about no. what's going on. And that all being said, I don't see anything in this one that looks interesting. Um, I think last week, if I remember, I believe we had at least at least two turn timber symbiosis. We might have had all four. Whereas this list only has one turn timber symbiosis. I think it had four of the the green land and four of the black land last yes. week. Because so we were talking about the, the the low land count. This one has four of the black land, Agadim's Awakening. It has only three t- or one turn timber symbiosis, but it has three Beseech the Mirror. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, I don't know how this deck casts Beseech the Mirror. Ex- Dual unless, I mean, yes. Well, don't get me wrong. I get casting it, but you don't want to cast it. Like you don't run this card. There, there's better tutors if you're just going to cast it. You run this card so you can bargain it and get get your your char belcher into play because this does put this does just put or not. I think a char belcher. Um, but you see, so you can put like your I guess whatever you want into play. You could put your Thassa's oracles into play and then activate under city informer, which is pretty cool. But it, what are you sacrificing to turn this thing on? Because you have to sacrifice an artifact. What is it? An artifact, enchantment, or token. Bridge you, from below tokens? Yes. I mean, it does have... But, you, but by the time you're doing bridge from below things, do you need Beseech the Mirror? Um, the other thing, it does have... Chrome Mox and Lotus Petal. Yeah, so eight, like, realistically, you're probably going to have one, but the fact of the matter is, like... You know, Wasteland yourself? Yeah, that's a... 
Now, in fairness, now in fairness, it does probably win the game because it does. It goes and gets Undercity Informer and Balshud Spy into play. Like it does, just do the thing you need it to do. And I'm guessing you always get Balshud Spy because he's free. It doesn't understand? Doesn't Undercity cost a mana? Uh, yeah, yeah. We can do it itself, but yeah. So it does just go do its thing. But I just feel like the yeah. I mean, I'd sacrifice a Chromebox to just win. Obviously, yes. Um, it's well, maybe I'm underestimating how reliably this deck is going to have artifact mana out. Because it is, you got a oops all spells. Like there's no there's no lands. There's, well, and you're you're also going to mulligan to a like. Yeah, I'm I'm probably underestimating how aggressively this deck is going to be mulliganing to, which it always was. I I never played this deck. It always was mulliganing to your to your artifact land, your artifact mana, and now you get to just cash in the not the lowest pedal, but the chrome mocks yeah. or your extra lowest <clears throat> pedal for a balustrade spy. So that makes sense. Um, upon thinking about it, that does make a lot of sense. Fourth place, we've got, well, it's listed as Sneak and Show. Let's see what it actually is. Um, Yeah, looks like it. So we've got four Sneak Attack, two Omniscience, four Show and Tell. So you have one Hole Breacher in the main. Yep. Uh, we got Vesuvian Drifters back. Pretty standard to what we've seen the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Nothing super new here. Mm-mm. But yeah, I don't see anything really going on here. Yeah, the four four and two split. Cyborg doesn't have anything uh, too oh. crazy in it either, does it? Another Hole Breacher. Yeah. Just basically, again, more like whole breacher, like we said, is effectively very similar to Narset, and that's just yeah. what you want to be doing now. Yep. Fifth place, we've got Doomsday, piloted by Wonder Pro again, which I have confirmed is not per second. <laughs> yep. Uh, but we, he, he was joking. We, we talked about Wonder Pro quite a bit. Yeah. But he is not. Two personal tutors. Yep. Just looking through the list here, I don't see anything. Nothing's catching my eye in the main. This um, this is and I can't remember what it's called. But we talked about it with per second in the sideboard it has tendrils. Mm-hmm. There is um a storm variant of this, which makes kind of sense because you're you're down to only two personal tutors, which the I believe, I think four personal tutors. What usually you see on the traditional ABC plan always be casting, um and then it does have and I oh, we talked about it a long time ago and honestly, I think it was the tendrils. Uh, the storm doomsday, which sounded the most fun to play, in my opinion, where it like the, the like uh, complete strategy of the deck is just to storm off and tendrils your opponent. And I can't remember, I believe one of the lines, I'm not going to be able to find it, so don't don't get nobody nobody at me on this, but it involved you built up you doomsday to it, you built a pile, you would do your pile, and then you would shuffle your pile back in and do and you would you would move through your pile a couple times and then tendrils. Ah, gotcha. It wasn't even about just like sculpting a hand and then tendrilsing in the middle of the game. You would doomsday into the tendrils and somehow put it back into the library and you would play your pile essentially twice and then you could doomsday for lethal. Nothing now, is popping that, out to, out at me that like shuffles the library. Could the be back in. that could that could have been a more dedicated deck. And this maybe just has tendrils in the side because it has a bunch of cheap spells. But we talked about it. I remember we did for sure. Per second, I'll have my back in the uh, in the Discord. I don't believe you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> this podcast is done. <laughs> Matt had until the first time he called me a liar, and then we're done podcasting. All right. Sixth place. <laughs> I guess we're done then. <laughs> Sixth place, we've got what we alluded to earlier with Rug Delver. Uh, now it says we've Teamer. Got, yeah, it sure does. But I refuse to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's Rug. Uh, Did, correct me wrong. Wasn't it that they didn't have a name for the longest time? What? Rug I, I thought I thought I heard on a podcast that 
they the wizards didn't name the wedges or they named half the wedges they well the wedges first they didn't really um, so they kind of did but it was nobody really referred to them so in apocalypse they had the same kind of thing um and it was the the legendary dragons from like the plane shifts i think i can't remember but like dromar and shit like that you'd have they also had their uh layers as well uh-huh. and people sometimes refer to that like those combinations same thing with like um anna delver and stuff like that like there were people referred to those color combinations a little bit but it wasn't nearly as ubiquitous ubiquitous as it is now okay. and then alara came out and they officially like they kind of formalized it in the same way they did with ravnica where it was just like you know blue red is is it that mm-hmm. kind of thing well they're like uh black white blue is esper and that's just it just kind of caught on okay in a way that it, it really hadn't before i thought for because it was like bug and rug and whatnot there's those I, I thought i heard someone saying the wedges went unnamed for so long that people just called them bug and rug and yeah then they, that's then they got named and it was it kind of split the community with people who say timir or saltai and then people that say bug or rug yep and that's that's pretty much true as like it's just typically speaking if you're just kind of an, a longer standing player you just it's bug, it's rug, mm-hmm. it's you know. Whereas I say salty, yeah, because that's I learned it. So I look at that and I see rug, red, blue, green. Yep. Um. So this is, just, <laughs> I mean, we had talked about it before. This is just blue, red, Delver with questing druid. It is. <laughs> it's just like you know, Tarmogoyf. Sorry, dude. I I have had your back is like the third or fourth best creature. Yep. For a long time. Is it better than Westing Drew? It's pretty fucking good. Is it better than drawing two cards? <laughs> that's like that card's fucking good. Like yeah. that's just all there is to say. Like, did we talk about last week where it's it's one in a red at instant speed to exile the top two cards of your library and you can play them and you can play them yeah. until the so end of the next turn. You can hit lands. I mean, we were looking like I if Bowmasters wasn't around, this to me would be the default Delvered list. Yeah. Um, because like, I mean, if you want to talk about a replacement for expressive iteration. This card comes real fucking close. close. Yep. Like it's frequently going to go up a card for two mana, which is what expressive iteration frequently did. It's very often going to go up two cards because like you're going to, you know, you're going to get your two and then you're going to cast your questing druid who is a like you don't necessarily cast it as opposed to like a DRC or a Merktide, but it's just another fucking threat. Uh And it's a threat that realistically is going to get big. Every time you cantrip, it gets bigger. Every time you cast, literally the only it's the only green spell in the deck. Yeah. So every time you cast, cast a spell, anything else, it and gets bigger. You can, you could pitch cast force or alternate cast days from the exile zone, right? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know off the top I don't, of my head. Casting it I, from exile is not using an alternative casting cost, right? I don't think it is. I think you can. I'm saying it's like I, I think you think can question so. druid. Like you could like in response, questing druid, flip a force of will, and then pitch brainstorm to force of will. If I remember correctly. And daze too. Yeah. I think you could daze mm-hmm. from there. You could daze to from this which is just like I and mean, it obviously fundamentally breaks these cards in a world where you get to cast them off of a card advantage spell. Like right. the whole point of daze and force of will is their card disadvantage. Yeah. So narrow but yeah. I, was, I was pretty sure you could well, i mean it's, it's it's pretty likely it's gonna happen like you play enough games it's not gonna take you too many games before yeah. you rip a fucking force of will off the top yeah force of will or day you have eight you have eight uh, between force of will and days there's eight cards that's a fifth of your deck a sixth of your deck and you're on two no that's the seventh eighth eight times six is eight times eight is 64 
eight times seven is fifty-two. So yeah, seven. Yeah, seven. One in seven and a half. That's actually two in seven and a half because you're getting two cards. Oh yeah, straight. It's actually two in seven and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, you've got the um the increasing odds. Like the first one isn't a force of will, then yep. the next one is yeah. slightly more likely to be a force of will. That's completely ignoring um setting it up with brainstorm and ponder and ignoring your opening hand size and what turn it is. Yeah. So like yeah, you got all kinds of options. Like it's the just a good card. Uh, it would very strong. It, I imagine it would be seeing a way more play than it is. And don't get me wrong. I mean, it just top aided. Yep. And, uh, but if there was room in the shell, if there was room in the shell that, that, that bone mattress wasn't taking up. Yep. Cause that's the choice. And I like, it's good. And a, there's a lot of like personal play style that's going to be involved here, but like bow master is probably just a better card and oh, the blue black yeah. builds. Oh, I think so. Rixus is probably better than rug. And in my opinion, blue black is better than either. Yeah. At this point, I think we've got, enough results to see that blue black is probably the best tempo shell at the moment mm -hmm. the blue black kind of scammy lists um i think in my opinion scam the scammy lists are probably better than the hard uh death shadow lists um death shadow is just it has an achilles heel yep. and the scam decks don't yeah it's, and that's basically what well, it boils down to and in my the opinion. achilles heel isn't a silver bullet it's the best it, removal spell correct it's uh, every deck that has white mana plays the ninth most played card in the format. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> I mean, it's not like if your Achilles heel is no rod. Right. Because there are some decks yeah, where... I mean, Thoughtcast exists. Yeah. Like, the Achilles heel is a, is a card that sees play sometimes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Death Shadow's Achilles heel is... Every source, white deck has it. <laughs> yeah, every white deck. <laughs> yeah. So, anywho... The sideboard, before we move on, the notably, yeah. you do get to pick up two cards I love to see. Sylvan Library and one Minskin Boo, one of each. Yeah. Since you've got green, you get to pick up some of the best green cards ever printed. And uh, Minskin Boo still triggers Questing Druid, because it's not not it's not non-green spell. It's, it's As long as it's a color. As long as it's a color other than green, so you're still good there. So there's still, in the 75, one card that doesn't trigger Questing Druid. Yep. Um, was there anything else that's cool in the side? Next up, we've got uh, Green White Depths. Or, no, sorry, that's what it's listed as. Why the fuck does it have Emrakul and Olmog <laughs> in primetime? Okay, cool. So, fuck you. If by Selesnya Depths, you mean uh, 12 posts. Yeah, like, I don't know. This They just completely... I guess, in fairness, it's not quite 12 posts. It's 10 posts, because you have four Cloud posts. You have four uh, Glimmer and posts. And only two Vesuvas. Two Vesuvas. But yeah, you have, Still, it's 12 posts. You have 10 posts, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, like and like literally prime time Olamog, yeah, Selesnya Depths, huh? Yeah, that. Hey, hey, hey well, the hey, problem hey, is hey. that's an actual fucking deck. So. It does have a dark depths. <laughs> it does. It has a dark depths. Don't get me wrong. Like and Thespian Stage, which to be fair, I mean the two Thespian Stages and two Vesuvas is kind of your twelve. Oh, does that mean? Does, I, guess, I guess our, that is our twelve. Post. <laughs> it's not quite as good as, or it's not quite as like traditional, but you still do have four copy effects. Yeah, you're right. You're right, and um, four One Rings. Yeah, I'm shocking. If you're, I mean, if you're gonna have mana to spare, what's the one? What's Just the worst thing can more happen? Cards. Yeah, all the mana and none of the cards. Uh, yep. Man, I've got ten mana and uh, an endurance. Yep. Cool. Sure, would be cool if I could draw six cards. Yep. So um, and also take a turn off from combat. <laughs> yeah. Which in this kind of deck is pretty relevant. Yes. When you the deck is gonna do literally nothing for a couple turns, and then it just does like all the things, yes. and you're like, fuck. Uh huh. Um, let's see. Just look at the list here. I don't see anything new here in no. the main other than the one ring. There's a and shitty Gedic Teague about card the inside. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a sucker for Gedic Teague. It's because he's awesome and he says you can't cast Wrath of God. 
I mean, it's li- there's a reason it's four. It's yep. like I'm, at the time he was printed, that's what wraths cost. Yeah. There were several of them around. They all cost four more. And I don't goes, think there are any wraths that cost four less than four now. They're, not a good one. Not, not anything not anything worth playing. Even an EDH. There's a couple. Like, they don't... So there's like the there's one of the black ones. I don't remember the names of them because you, you could do Toxic Deluge. Yeah, Toxic. To be fair, Toxic Deluge is definitely yeah. in EDH sees a lot of play. Um, isn't there one that like you don't Dead untap your lands the next turn or something like that? Uh, that no, Dead of Winter is one of the. That's not that one, but Dead of Winter is yeah, a, is which one is that, Toxic Deluge, but for snow lands. Snow lands. Um, I know what you're thinking of. I thought it was like a, there's an extra turn spell that does that. So there might be a, a board up well, too. The, the, well, there was a whole cycle that did so that. I, that's why when you said that, I figured it was probably also yeah, there's like, a time walk and a, so there's probably one of those that yeah, yeah you you don't get to un, you skip your untap step. I think is what it yeah, is. Yeah, the vast majority of them are three mana or four mana or yeah. above. So it still hits most of them. But I mean, to, to be fair, Toxic Deluge is I've it's pretty rare you see a non C E D H deck that black deck yeah. that doesn't have Toxic. Toxic yep. Deluge. If you have black, you should probably be running Toxic Deluge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love Gaddick Teague and I love Kithkin because they're basically hobbits before hobbits. See, that's how, like, if you want to reference Tolkien, you can take his work and, you know, create something yeah. else that's you can iterate, similar. Iterate upon it. Correct. And then, you know, they oh, have oh, their own kind did of they, thing. Did they retroact it? Did they errata so that Kithkin are, because they make hobbits are a creation now. It's a creature type now, isn't it? Yeah, Hobbit's creature type. Yeah, because Samwise is a Hobbit. So did they did they errata and make Kithkin Hobbits? Or I don't think so. Because they should. Like I, I don't care if like, you make if you're Hobbits. Gonna do Kith- it. If you're gonna make Hothkins, if you're gonna make Kithkins Hobbits or Hobbits Kithkins, like both are unsupported enough. Just merge them together. Mm-hmm. I it's agree. Like, didn't I think they put like dogs and hounds together? For yes, the same reason where it's they've like done a lot of a, a few things like, like that. There's not many dogs. There's not many hounds. Just put them together. So yeah. if I want to build a dog deck, I can. Correct. Um, same thing with this, like Kithkin or Hobbits. Yeah, just put them together. I had a Hobbit deck or a Kithkin deck, and it was literally called For the Shire. That was well. <laughs> I mean, that was back in Lorwyn. Imagine how like, good it could be now. There, eh. there's probably a For the Shire card. <laughs> there probably, a, I think there is. <laughs> Check Scryfall. <laughs> um, I'll go in on to eighth. So we got mo- it's. Li- Let's check here. It's listed as mono red prison. Let's see what it actually is. I got it got burned once. There is the Shire. Just the Shire. There's no for the Shire. Gotcha. I thought I would, I thought there was some sort of like white like buff. There's some for the whatever where they're like attacking a hill or yeah. I know there is, but um I think it's um it's the two people. It's not it's uh but, 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 who the other who the other two? Mary and Pippin. I think it's Mary and Pippin like taking a hill or something. Yeah, I think we talked I think it showed up in a deck and we talked about it for like twenty minutes. Yeah. Um it's probably from the scouring of the Shire. It might just be scouring the Shire or something like that, but who knows? Um, eighth place, Mono Red Prison. Let's look for some new stuff here. So we got Rabble Masters and War Bosses, Maguses of the Moon. Hey, it's goblins. Sort of. Uh, Chaos of the ca- Caves of Chaos Adventure. I like Chaos of the Cave Adventure. Yep. <laughs> it's better. Uh, doesn't look like there's anything new uh, in the main. Looks pretty standard. The lands are stock, and the sideboard is, dare I say it, kind of boring. This, so. is a pretty, this is a very pretty Leyland of the Void, though. Good looking card. They redid the uh, Mystical Archive with a whole new set of cards again. Of course they did. So your cards are less valuable again. Even if you take away the, like, this is one of the things that just drives me nuts about that is like, even if you set aside the monetary value of them, a lot of this stuff is cool because they're, I don't want to say unique, but they're just, they're a change. They're special. Yeah. 
and that that all goes away when you just do this all the time yep so like well it's like the whole i mean like like inventions and masterpieces were just uh, take it back even farther the classic the the original fort lands fort lands were the coolest fucking thing ever till they're just in and every now fucking they're just set. in every set yep and i mean they're still cool but they are not what they were no and i mean the meme went so far that they did full text lands yeah like and with the, other, the other side yeah now those are the expensive ones because you had to, they were like eight dollars a piece from watsy right because <laughs> you had to buy them in fucking sets of five or whatever yep anywho metagame summary uh other is the biggest category with 14 uh there's a decent amount of um there's a couple like smattering like there's a smattering of some stuff like the cradle control there's two cradle control lists in here there's a an abzan one and a or i guess a junk one and a uh, black green one so just no white um there's also a mono black list but the biggest two chunks are blow uh the blue black tempo deck decks and then um initiative which mtg goldfish still hasn't named still refuses to call boros initiative initiative yeah or give it any other name other than white red white red so that's first uh grixis tempo just straight up grixis tempo is uh nine percent three of the top 32 you also have the rug delver list so delver itself is got four of the top 32 then you tack on the um, three or four blue three blacks. or four blue blacks and you're up to six or seven of them and that's how you get this uh the total with like bow masters and 41 percent of decks merc tides and 25 percent and yeah. you can kind of you can kind of parse it a little bit because like drc and delver in like 12 percent so yep so those so if you're looking at 25-ish percent of the meta is your is this tempo-ish package, half of that is blue-red Delver or some variation, and the other yep. half of it is blue-black or Grixis. Yep. Um, then we got a couple Doomsday, a couple... Well, I was going to say a couple green-white depths, but... Probably we, one green-white depths. One green-white depths and then one 12-post, uh, uh, and then a bunch of one-offs. A bunch of one-offs this week. Yep. So a little more diverse than we've been seeing lately. Still a whole lot of Bowmasters, 41%, fifth most played card. It's basically the only creature that breaks the top 10. Um, then we got Brainstorm, Force of Will, Ponder, Lotus Petal, and Bowmasters as their top five cards. Uh, top creatures, Bowmaster, Murktide. So there's your blue-black. Then you got Elvish Reclaimer for all the depths lists. And uh, to be fair, you also have a couple. Uh, the Cradle Control lists also run four Reclaimers each. Yeah, they're elf decks. <laughs> right. They run five elves, four reclaimers, and one Allosaurus <laughs> yeah, Shepherd. Shepherd. And then Grief, and then Simeon, Simeon Spirit Guide. <clears throat> uh, top spells, Brainstorm, Force Will, Ponder, Lotus Petal, and Thoughtseize. So that's Legacy. So probably, I would say this week's probably looks a little better than, like, as a whole, the top 32 looks a little yeah. better than we've seen in the past I few weeks. So. Uh, the top eight, in my opinion, is still not great. First and second being the same deck. And then third or six, also a very similar deck. Yeah. Like we've got a third it, of the top eight is based on that. Like the diversity this week is horrendous compared to the last couple, last couple weeks for as much as we've hated, hated, disliked the overall trend of legacy. The top eights have been very diverse. Right. And this week is a little more honed in on, on Bowmasters or, or tempo of some kind. Yep. And then ninth place was also Grixis tempo. And then 11th was also blue black. So like, it's not like these aren't outliers. There's just a bunch of this stuff going yep. on there. And it looks like Grixis tempo lost on tiebreakers. Like uh, eighth place was Mono Red Prison, ninth place was um, Grixis Tempo. They're both five and two. Yep, that's legacy. All righty, let us bump on over to Z Modern. Uh, unfortunately for the Saturday or for the Sunday challenge, we don't have any like 
65 card main boards to talk about, I don't think. Uh, but we do have a couple Omnath decks we can kind of take a peek at. However, this week, in first place, I believe it, now it wasn't the same person. I think it was, it was uh, this is Ganyan CHN. But I think multiple weeks in a row, maybe even three, we've had Yogmoth coming in first place. Uh, Yogmoth has been pulling home these wins pretty consistently. Uh, this Yogmoth list is a Hapatra list with four Orcish Bowmasters and one Zolaport Cutthroat over the um, Blood Artist. We do have a new card. Uh, was Agatha's Soul Card Cauldron here last week? We talk about I that. Don't think so. So this card's pretty cool. Um, I'm not necessarily super sure what it does in uh, this particular. Oh, actually, I know what it does. So this card's awesome. This card's super, super awesome. Um, it actually is part of an uh, infinite mana combo in standard right now that you can do on like turn three or four. Great. You can go infinite pretty easily too. But so Agatha's Soul Cauldron, a two mana legendary artifact. You may spend mana as if it were mana of any color to activate abilities of creatures you control. Yep. Not really relevant, but this ability is pretty powerful. The second one. Creatures you control with plus one, plus one counters on them have all activated abilities of all creature cards exiled with Agatha's Soul Cauldron. And you can tap it to exile target creature from a graveyard. When a creature card is exiled this way, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Um, actually, okay, so that isn't nearly as good in this format, then is it? Or in this deck. Hmm. So in Legacy, or in Standard, it's it's a really big deal, because that's, that's a very powerful form of, bit of text. Any creature you have with a plus one, plus one counter has all the activated abilities of every card underneath this. Mm-hmm. And so as the game goes on, I mean, first of all, you could I imagine just getting, case in point, like, now your Haywire Might exiles itself, but let's just say hypothetically, you could get a Haywire Might underneath it. Now all of your creatures with plus one, plus one counters, you can exile an artifact or enchantment with them. Like, in standard, um, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know what it does? It allows you to remove plus one, plus one counters with uh, if you get a wall of roots underneath it. I don't think I could be wrong, but is I don't... Is that an activated ability? It is, but Wall of Roots puts a minus zero, minus one, and I don't think they obliterate. Oh, I could be wrong, but not, I think it's not the same counter. It has to be the exact same, doesn't I it? I think so. Okay, I, okay, okay. Someone correct me if that's the case, but I don't... I thought about that, too. But to be fair, what it would do is allow you to... Um, if you keep putting plus one, plus one counters on it, you can like negate the wall of roots effect. So you can like keep getting mana. Yeah, but it is only once a turn still. Yeah. So, okay. So I, then I believe, because in standard, you get some pretty crazy stuff, but standard plays all kinds of crazy creatures that have cool activated abilities. Um, the best thing you're going to get here is it lets you make any one of your creatures become a Yawgmoth, right? Yep. So you can put Yawgmoth underneath it. And now basically all of your creatures with Undying become Yawgmoth. A combo piece. Yeah. They become the driving combo piece. Right, and like... And like, you know, if you have, you know, a, a young two young wolves, the first young wolf can sacrifice the second one young wolf. It comes back with a plus one, plus one counter. Then that one can sacrifice the other young. Like it like they I. Yeah, that's that's probably what we're going for here uh, is that you can get Agatha's soul cauldron with a. Um, wow. How does that work with Grist? Because Grist is a creature. Are those, do those kinds of activated abilities? I believe so. Because <laughs> because it's because it's it says creatures right yes so all creature cards and grist is a creature the uh, on the Gaia's Cradle Discord they've been like the uh, Agatha Soul Cauldron has been making waves in lists so if and, you can get a grist underneath it then all of your cre- undying creatures that get plus one plus one counters on them can do all the things that grist can do 
That well, well, no, I know that can't. That's not true. They can only plus one because yeah, they, you can't pay loyalty you don't have. Yeah, and and they don't. They wouldn't get loyalty, do they? I I've never used a no, 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 because they don't enter. They don't. No, no but I mean, like, say he's out and you plus one him. Does he now have a loyalty counter on him? I would bet they do. So you could do it again, and then you could start using his minus. Yes, hypothetically, if you could take multiple okay. turns with it, I believe this is not yeah. a scenario I've. If you right. had a if you had a, a young wolf with a plus one plus one counter on it and a grist underneath your Agatha Soul Cauldron, I believe you could you could base because the cost is just to put a loyalty counter onto the permanent. Yep. So yeah, you could put a loyalty counter on it, put a loyalty counter on it, and then, and then possibly minus. Yep. Yeah. Or just I mean, if the best thing it does is every turn all of your creatures with one one counters on them also make one ones. That's that, that's kind of cool. I. Yep. That's probably, I mean, that's, I would say, thinking about it, having uh, the ability to take your Yawgmoth that your opponent killed and make Turn all, all of your creatures, creatures into Yawgmoth is probably <laughs> yep. enough to run Agatha's Soul Cauldron. But uh, having the extra splash damage of Grist, making all of your creatures that get a plus one, plus one counter, just make more creatures every turn. There's also more nonsense because it's not from your graveyard. Oh, it's not. Absolutely. So you can absolutely steal your opponent's activated abilities. Yes. Um, one of the other ones that it's it's like really kind of a duh, but it's del- like delighted halfling yeah. getting like having all your dudes just become mana dorks, not only mana dorks, but make your other stuff uncounterable as well. Yeah, that's true. Like, that's a very strong ability. Like delighted halflings, a really good fucking mana dork. Yeah, it is. Um, so yeah, you get yeah, all of your and it's I, it, it's almost a it feels like a slip up on their part where it's not the counter that uh, that Agatha's cauldron placed on it. Yeah, it's, it's usually how any it is. plus one plus one counter. It does place a plus one plus one yep, counter. So you get one anyways. But yeah, if you happen to have creatures that have counters on them, they also just get the effect. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That's a really cool interaction with that card in this deck. Although to be fair at this point, I don't call those like oversights. That's just how they design cards now. Yeah, this, you're probably I mean you're probably it's just that is such an abhorrently powerful way to design that card. Well, this card costs two mana, has nine lines of text. So <laughs> Yeah. That's true. I mean, the flip side is like you could have this card do almost the exact same thing and just remove the top ability, right? Mm-hmm. But no, it costs two mana, so it needs to have nine full lines of text and no downside. Is it relevant that it makes Yogmoth's ability to discard a card cost colorless, colorless? Actually, cost any color mana, any color mana. It's probably not irrelevant. Yeah, because you could spend colorless mana. You could type. You could tap Delighted Halfling to activate a uh, a Stranglerroot Geist that is also a Yogmoth, right? Because you can activate man as those ain't color. Yep. Okay. So yeah, that card's good. It is. <laughs> that card's and like really I said, good. it's seeing dude. Um, those things. It, well, they're forty five dollars a piece. Yep. Holy cow! Like, there, there's your money card from the set. I just, I just look at this kind of stuff and I'm like, okay, so like Ragavan got you how many lines of text for one mana? Like this kind of card gets now. I'm not necessarily even trying to knock this card in general because it's. One of the things I do like about it is it's fairly, it's broad, but it's also kind of narrow at the same time. Like it's got a lot of like options. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's probably just a little too pushed realistically, but like, I mean, honestly, compared to what magic cards are now, it makes me wonder kind of right along with everything else with the, all the cards of legacy and modern, there's gotta be a better way to break this. Now they're like the steps of like, okay, I have to get a card into the graveyard and then eat it with this. But like, there's got to be some pretty abhorrent activated abilities down underneath there that like, oh, you know, the creature costs 10 mana, but the activated ability only costs two. Right. And if I can just discard it and then eat it with Agatha and make my Dryad Arbor. Well, I mean, a good example of that would be uh, anything and Grizzlebrand. 
Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, you just if you can discard Grizzlebrand, eat it, <laughs> eat it, and now Land of War Elves just pay seven pay life, draw seven, draw seven. That's just the extreme example yeah, of you, like you ready, you ready to redesign elves, right? Ready for a new elf deck, a new stock list, huh? New stock list of elves gonna drop. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, elves is a good example of this though. Is you can slowly eat some other shit, and like, there's plenty of activated abilities on your elves. There's a type of like, yeah, just you, eating a land of war elf makes all of your creatures with plus one plus one counters land of war elves. Yep. Now the problem is, uh, elves just isn't a deck anymore. Of and, course like, not. So, but you have to redesign it, um, rebuild it. Mana dork. If fiend you, artisan control is a deck if you build it they will come well, they won't <laughs> uh that all being said the rest of the deck looks pretty standard i don't see anything going on in the main board sideboard doesn't have uh too much interesting we do have the spike feeder in there um elvish chorus which i think we've talked about before but you can i think you can play creatures from the top of your library yep and your creatures it feels also. like there's shenanigans with spike feeder and the, the Agatha Soul culture. If you can get Spike Feeder underneath it, everything, all of your creatures get, you can pay, to, you can remove a counter to gain two life. So does that go infinite with undying creatures and Yawgmoth? Well, it allows you to go infinite with one undying creature and Yawgmoth. Because yeah. normally you need two. Yeah, you have to cycle through them. Because you have to obliterate the counters. And But it does allow you to go, oh, well, which are, what, to, more to your point, though. It does allow you to go literally infinite. Yeah, because, because you're, you're not no going to kill yourself. Yeah, because life is no longer a concern. Whereas it yeah. used to be, it wasn't infinite, but you I mean, once you draw 10 cards, you've probably drawn your Zolaport Cutthroat, and now you're infinite. Yeah. This is just another way to go infinite. Yep. And with the Yawgmoth, the uh, Yawgmoth works well with Agatha Soul Cauldron, where you can draw all those cards, and you could discard your Spike Feeder. You could pay black, black, discard your spike feeder, and then eat it with Agatha, and now you're going infinite. Yep, you get to draw the rest of your deck. Yep. Gain, not infinite life, but you can draw your deck. You can draw your deck, pitch them all to uh, Cadaverous Bloom, and drain life your opponent for 20. Well, couldn't you... No, because you can't have more than one Agatha Soul Cauldron. Because like, you could draw your deck, then you need to find a way to make all of your creatures... You need to find a way to make... Because you, you need to make your Strangleroot Geist add mana... Now your Shangarest comes in, adds a mana, then dies, comes and adds a mana. You could discard all your cards to Yogmoth, <laughs> then you could endurance them back into your library and do it again. Yep, and then get a dinged for slow play. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're uh, you're making a giant something probably. Yeah, no, I don't there, know. Well, there's a I forget the the deck name, but it used. Remember uh, Alex's? Uh, you know what deck more salvage? Uh, yeah, with the Gitrog yes. monster. Yeah, there, there's of... a there's a thing with get with Gitrog and Dagmar Salvage that literally does like one damage per rotation. Well, there's there's versions of it that actually saw competitive play in like Legacy. They didn't use Gitrog, but they use the same type of yeah. shit. And um, the problem is, since it's not deterministic, it's considered slow play. Yeah, because you have you're... you have to go through. It's can technically fizzle, and you have to go through a significant portion of your deck sometimes before you get your one or two damage in, and then you do it again. I know what you're talking about. Because you're not, each game action isn't actually changing the uh, the game state at all. Nope. And they don't count, this is, to be perfectly honest, this to me is bullshit. They don't count adding mana, changing the game the game state. Really? Yeah. That's not cool. Like, that's literally another resource. And that, because that's the thing, is like, you generate mana as you do well, that. Well, surely, surely dealing a damage to your opponent counts as changing the game state. Yeah. Well, there, some, the lists have changed and whatnot. Okay. I, it's driving that's, me nuts. I can't remember the name of that fucking deck. I did see uh, I did see a post on Reddit the other day where it's like their opponent was playing Lotus Field, I think, in Pioneer, and they'd been spinning their wheels for like ten minutes. So they asked him like, "Is there even a win con here?" And the guy was like, "I'm not sure to be honest." 
<laughs> Judge, like, that's definitely slow play. Yep. <laughs> Learn how to play your deck before the tournament, guys. Yep. Uh, but anyway, yep, let's move on to second place. I can go through modern a little faster because, oh my gosh, it's already almost two hours. Uh, this will be quick. Boros Burn came in second place. Next. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's Boros Burn, guys. It has eight creatures and 28 lightning bolts. And the exact same list we saw last week. And pretty much the same list that we saw last week. Um, in fairness, he's Matt's not wrong. Four Roiling Vortex, sideboard of things you'd expect, like Deflecting Palm, Smash Smithereens, Wear and Tear. Saved some time there, didn't we? Hey, look, it's Rakdos Midrange. Next. <laughs> it's <laughs> pretty much. Um, well, we got to talk about it at least a little bit this week. We just haven't because had it's a quarter yeah. of the fucking meta. Well, it's been a lot of the meta for a little bit. But it hasn't really been popping into the top eight for several weeks now. And I think we have like two or three in this one, don't we? Uh, we have at least one. Yeah. There's, um, and then ninth place and 11th okay, place and nice. 13th and 14th and 16th. <laughs> so we don't have one in the top eight. But this one does have four Orca Spellmasters slapped into the very traditional Rakdos scam list. Um, we do have a new card. Is this just a better undying effect? So not dead after all. <laughs> sure sounds like an undying card, doesn't it? Yep. So one black mana for an instant until the end of turn target creature you control gains when it dies, return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control, then create a wicked roll token. Did you hear about that with the new set, by the way? I know you don't follow the new sets coming out. Hmm. Um, lots of cards make rolls and rolls are enchantments you put on a creature. So hmm. now you now it's just an aura token. It's just an aura token. Now we have aura tokens. Hooray. And a lot of them. So like this one tells you most of them don't. They just say, create a noble role and attach it to a creature. So you have to know what these what all the are. What the fuck is that? Yeah. This one does tell you, thankfully. A wicked role, which says, enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and when this aura is put into the graveyard, each opponent loses one life. So, slightly better. Um, arguably a decent bit better than a true undying. One of the undying, e like undying evil, for example, because undying evil stack incredibly poorly. Because un once a creature... Because it gains literally undying. Because yeah. it gains literally undying. So, like, this one... You know, you could you could do it to the same creature three times in one turn if you could keep sacrificing it hypothetically or they keep killing it. Whereas I've had it happen multiple times where I'm playing and I have I have two undying evils in my hand and that just doesn't line up well. Like you're kind of you're kind of on the back of this, you know, this uh, grief and they go to kill it a second time. And it's like, boy, this card has no text because he yep. has a plus one plus one counter. Um, after that, though, rest of the deck seems pretty standard for curious. Yes. So they they've. There's at least three. So we have not dead after all, which is new. Yes. Outside of that one, there's at least three other ones. I believe so. If that's the case, are the other ones, do the other ones give literally undying as well? I don't think so. I don't think the other ones give plus one, plus one counters like undying. Gotcha. So like, I know Malakir's so Rebirth just brings it back. Yeah. There's, there's but it several get of bigger. them. Yeah. There's several of them that just bring it back. I think undying evil might be the only one that has it come back with a counter. Gotcha. A buff. Which, so that's the trade-off is you get a counter, but it occasionally is dead. Yes. Whereas not dead after all is literally just better than that. Because not only that, it also says when it dies, they lose another life. Yeah. Which, it's not nothing. No, I mean, it's they're actually, they're definitely going to try to kill your dude. Yeah. Now, I guess on the other end of that, though, is you do have an enchantment that is easier to remove than a plus one, plus one counter, possibly. But, I mean, yeah. Like, the odds of that mattering are... Like, if you're going to spend your haywire mite to, like, nuke yeah. my aura token, yeah. sure, dude. Pretty, pretty low. Pretty low. You could have just kept it around the block. Could have. <laughs> okay. Main board looks pretty standard, though. Sideboard also looks pretty standard. Anything you see in there? Not that I'm aware. I don't see anything new. Me either. Kind of cool to see Culligan's Command still. 
That is basically new, right? Seeing K Command C play. Yeah. Oh, we've wrecked. So here we have six places also wrecked as mid range. Oh, a, is it? Okay. We'll, we'll, take, we'll take a look at that one. Um, and it looks like it's the exact same list. I mean, this might be the same list. The sideboard is a little more uh, narrowed down, looks like, but this is almost the exact same list. You know, four, four Bowmasters, four Not Dead After All. Like, I just, that to me just immediately jumps in as the best undying spell for this deck. Yeah, for sure. It's the ability to stack. Like, it does, it gives you all the benefits you want, and it stacks. All right. I hadn't actually, like, I I hadn't realized that the cards you used to scam them, that one of them actually gave undying. Yes, the yeah. literal text undying. Yeah. Which, I figured they were all just copies. When it dies, come back with a, a plus one, plus one counter. Yeah. yeah, nope. Next up, we've got a, we actually have two monocolor decks. So first we have mono black coffers. Uh, this is sporting three trolls to get more swamps to go with your coffers. Uh, the full seven field of ruins between demolition field and field of ruin. Your Karn with a Karn wishboard. Orcish Bowmasters, a Sheldred to bring the game home. And then uh, one ring followed by a bunch of kill spells. A bunch of kills, bunch of kill spells and disruption. It's like Thoughtseize, Sheldreds, Edict, Damnation, Fatal Push. Um, still odd to see these decks running without any kind of tutors. The decks I saw, I guess I was seeing Aspiring Spike play several versions of these or play against several versions of these. And they were running that Suspend Demonic Tutor. Yep. That, because uh, <laughs> the deck is, this is one of those decks like it just really doesn't do very much if you don't have both Cabal Coffers and Urborg. It just really like this is meant to be a bit of a bigger mana deck and, you know, do big, intense things. And without those things, like, I mean, you are just playing swamps, hopefully, and casting things like Thoughtseize and maybe Damnation to buy time. Yeah. And the big one is just like you take out the tutors and you just run the one ring. So it's just like, well, I guess that's true. Instead of a tutor, I'm just going to draw I'm 10 just cards, draw a bunch of fucking cards. Is drawing a fifth of my deck the same as tutoring for a card? Not Probably. quite, but it's cl- it's pretty, pretty fucking close. close. Especially when you've got four of and you're not trying to like just tutor out the one of. Yeah, it's, it's like, true. well, I've got four coffers and not yeah. to mention it can also hit both of them. Yeah, it can easily get both pretty easily. Yeah. Yep. Because that the one that is one of the downsides of having, I think, profane tutor is what it's called. Yes. Um, um, It's not nearly as good when you don't. It's great when you have one of them. But if you don't have either, just trying to draw into it is like, yeah, oh, I'd rather draw well, two it, ten cards. Yeah, it's, it's almost. It's not a dead card, but it's it's kind of like uh, if you're like if you're in Tron and it's like which if you only have one Tron piece, which one do you map for? Because mm-hmm. hopefully I draw one of them and it's just a, it's just a roll the dice. It's just a crapshoot. Yep. But yeah, nothing too crazy going on in here. Nothing really new. Uh, let's see if we got anything new in mono green Tron. I think the correct answer would be to Mulligan. <laughs> if you only have one of your Tron pieces. That is the correct answer, yeah. <laughs> But if you if you get a hand that's so good you can't put it back, what do you go get? You mulligan. That's the that's third what you do. Tron piece because yeah, you, you, you clearly have two in an expedition yeah. map. <laughs> yeah, you mulligan. Speaking of Tron, we do have Mono Green Tron showing up. Uh, this is with the four generous Ents to help thin those land counts out, and they also just have a big beater. I mean, a a, a five seven. The I wonder what's more important with this card: the fact that it's a five seven or the fact that it makes um, a food token. And just like just the ability to gain some life, like making a five, seven that can block a relevant threat and then gain a little bit of life to buy another turn. Yeah, I imagine it's it's just the whole the whole package. So it fixes your mana. Yeah. And uh, on top of letting your Urza's mind go get a forest so you right. can then keep casting your ancient stirrings or your explorers. Correct. Like it's so you only have to run a few forests. So you just have fewer dead cards. I didn't I didn't think about that, actually. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
it's something to do with your seven mana when you get there. And obviously you like there's a solid chance you'll have like if you're casting this, you probably already have green. Yeah. Mana. So like or else you probably would have four cycled it away. Yep. Um, so you just gives you a fucking giant dude to drop, which it's by itself, is it as good as a worm coil engine? No. Well, if you don't have a worm coil engine, if but you have if nothing. You- well, and, and you had to look at it as a whole card and like at different points in the game, whereas Worm Coil Engine is great when you have drawn. And it does block all but the biggest Murktides. Right. It's very like it'll stand in front of a Murktide like yeah. almost every time. It'll hold back a 5-5 five, five Murktide, a 6-6 six, six Murktide. And it'll kill well. a 5-5 five, five Murktide. <laughs> it actually will kill a 5-5, five, five, yeah. Yep. Not And, and the, well, it's got other like. It stands in front of pretty much any Tarmogoyf. Any Goyf. Almost every creature. Pretty much, yeah. I mean. The floor of it is it's as far as a Tron deck goes, it's a pretty, pretty low, pretty bad yeah. creature. But as as far as the floor goes, it does hold back pretty much everything. Yep. And then you've got your your top end. You have just better cards. It's a- it actually, for what it's worth, stands in front of a prime time. It stands in front of prime time. It'll stop a uh, a hammer time creature. It'll the uh, the flying one. The what's it called? What's oh. the land? What's the flying land for hammer time? I, I, ink moth. Yeah. Ink- it'll 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 stop an ink moth nexus. Yeah, the as low as it is in terms of yeah casting, you know the uh, uh, Sundering Titan or uh, whatever, it still isn't a, that bad of a creature, and it, uh, all the other things it does as well. Yeah, and it's just it's a land. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah. much better than forests. Yeah. four through seven. Yep, it is. Um, nothing interesting in here though, right? Uh, there's the one ring. This this list is slightly different because you do kind of have a couple variants where like sometimes they do want to commit to the board with like worm coil engine engines and shit. Uh-huh. This one just goes hard on the planeswalkers and it's just got the full Karn liberated list. Like we've got a 15 card sideboard. And it does have a mind slaver package as well. So yeah, you could, that's it, cool. You do you can uh you could car- you could Karn the great creator for mind slaver, mind slaver them get and then with Karn get it back and mind slaver them again. Yeah, that's brutal. I hadn't even thought about that. You could, and you get, because like you, you take their turn and then you take your turn, right? So you get, you get two of your turns in a row and you get two of their turns in a row. Yeah. Concede. Yep. <laughs> Game's over. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, yeah. Hell, if all it said was target player just skips their next turn. It's, it's, it's still be game's over. So Tron's going to go two turns in a row. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, unless I just have like the nuts. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. In what world is this game not over? All right. I think. Remember, all we have left is we do have a couple five color Omnath lists to look at. Now, like I said before, these are not the 65 card mains, um, but we do have some changes, at least in this first one. Let me take a look at the second one to see if it also has some of this weird shenanigans. Both the, the creatures in them are different. So they're vastly two, different. Yeah, they're two different builds. Okay, so we'll talk it. So let's let we uh, we will talk about seventh place first. This is uh, was it Nedia Nedia Hisk? Sure. Uh, this is a 10 creature list sporting uh, Eternal Witness, Omnath, Solitude, Elish Norn. Most of those are one of, except for Solitude and Omnath. And then a Valky, God of Lies, which is there a way to cheat this thing out? Do we have. Uh, bring Delight, I believe. Okay. Yep. Because Valky, God of Lies, is probably the worst seven mana planeswalker there is. Now, it is a seven mana planeswalker, and it does do things, but if you're going to spend seven mana on a planeswalker, I would not start with. With Valky, God of Lies, or Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter. Nope. But if you're going to bring the light it out, it makes pretty good sense because you can bring the light Valky and then choose to cast Tybalt on the back. Um, although there is only two bring the light decks, so I don't feel comfortable calling this a bring the light list. The next one for sure is it's four, full yeah. four of. Yep. Yeah. So that's 
Um, we do have two one rings. We do have one time warp, which is a little interesting to me because while we do have the eternal witness, we don't have the ephemerate for the infinite time walk package. We literally just have a single extra turn, maybe an extra, maybe another one with eternal witness. And of course the card Matt was talking about before full four of up the beanstalk, because what does this deck need to do more than anything else? And that is one, have a solid turn two play other than Ren and six and two, just draw more cards to grind just to be as grindy as possible. Yeah. That up the beanstalk is, I imagine is going to cause a lot of fucking problems. Can't believe that card ETVs and draws a card. Yep. Like what are we doing here? Two mana for a, a relevant effect. And it also replaces itself. I know. And it's fucking uncommon. Yeah, and it's an uncommon. <laughs> I mean, least, I, I'm actually grateful it's an uncommon. At least uncommon. it's only a $12 playset. Right. Instead of what the Agatha's. The Agatha's, I think, is a rare, wasn't it? And it was yeah, $140. It, it would have been, it's a $200 playset. Yep. It was 150 bucks for three of them. Jeez Louise. Um, but nothing, I mean, you got some pretty standard Omnath stuff in the main board with like a couple counter spells, Supreme Verdict. Up the Beanstalk isn't even just creature spells. It's just spells. Anything expensive, which... Again, so like looking at this deck, there isn't a ton. Wow, there isn't a ton of expensive spells, except you've got you know your solitudes, your Elish Norns. Those are going to trigger your solitudes. Casting for free is pretty broken, obviously. Yep. Your Leyland Binding casting for ones pretty broken, obviously. But check this out: up the Beanstalk. Think about how it pairs with Bring Delight, because mm-hmm. you get to cast Bring Delight, and then you get to cast the cards yep. you find. You cast Bring Delight, get a. Card. Draw a card. Cast Valky, get a card. Draw a card. Yep. That's bonkers. So I'm guessing if we move on to the next list then. Or I should say cast Tybalt. Yeah, cast Tybalt. You, you could cast Valky if you wanted to. Yeah, but then you wouldn't get the card. That's true. Among other things probably. But So the next list, again, four up the Beanstalk, much heavier on the Bring Delight list. Now this is also a Scape Shift list. We have a Scape Shift package with um with Balakut and the you know accompanying cards of Balakut. But like... Yeah, your scape shift here doesn't ever draw more than one card, though, right? Because you don't have anything big. You could technically bring to light. No. You mean bring to light? Sorry. Your bring to light never draws more than one card, right? Um, time You can cast time warp. Or, I'm sorry. Does it have the ability to get all five colors? Looking at the list. Because uh, that is... If it has Leyland Binding, let's say yes. Okay. So, assuming it can get all five, it could... Cast time walk. Technically, go get a time. Go get a time walk. Which, but, to be fair, is probably is gonna be a something you do not infrequently. If yeah. you're running four time warps, this deck obviously wants to it get the time warps. Very clearly wants to be taking extra turns. But yeah, so this list is very very different. So we've got um, four dry to the Elysian Grove and four Omnath Locus well, of Creation. Yeah, there's your five colors for Ring of Light. Yep, but the the Dryads also pair pretty well with that Scape Shift package. You know, making Valakut trigger on everything. Uh, you have three Teferi Time Raveler to help protect the combo. I just clicked on a card. I can't see anything. <laughs> uh, you have some ramp spells to search for tomorrow. And then you've got your Escape Shift and Bring to Light package. And yeah, sporting the full four of Time Warps. Like, you're planning on taking some extra turns. Uh, this deck actually is is pretty pretty narrow in terms of its card diversity because you've got four Up the Beanstalk and four Leyline Binding. And that's all of them, folks. That's mm-hmm. all the cards. And you got 28 lands to go with everything. Yeah, this is... Like I wouldn't, I I actually don't like the MTG Goldfish has this categorized in the same thing. Like this is not, in my opinion, an Omnath deck. It has Omnath in it. Yeah. 
and like there's I mean, like, some truth to it, but like this is a how, fucking scapeshift deck. How different it is to every other Omnath list we've seen. Like every Omnath Omnath list we see is all about huge amounts of value, grinding the game out. Usually a bunch of elementals and a lot of times extra value based around elementals. This just happened to have four Omnath because it has 28 lands and all the fetch lands. Yeah. Well, and yeah, like there's, it's an interesting. It, to me, it's actually an interesting way to approach it, but like it's definitely not what we think about when we're talking mm. about like the pitch spells with be, up the beanstalk or like yeah. Omnath Elementals and just that grindy kind of mid rangey deck. This yep. is not that. I, yeah, I agree with that 100%. That to me, those to me should not be at least categorized the same way. Sideboard's a little all over the place. So you got Endurance, Mystical Dispute, Temporary Lockdown, Unmoored Ego, Calling Ritual. That's a really good card. I, Calling Rituals is a is just a yeah, cool bombshell of a card in the right matchups. Force of Vigor, Yasharn, Implacable Earth. You know what Yasharn is? Uh, yeah, we've seen him a couple times. Yeah, four mana, four four. The ETBs. You can get a basic planes and a basic forest into your hand, and then players can't pay life or sacrifice non land permanents to cast spells or activate abilities. Now, obviously, it's four mana, so it's not an early play, but fetch lands. The vast majority of your artifacts, like treasures, you can't use treasures, you can't use fetch lands. Um, Yogmoth can't do anything. Can't do Yogmoth. Can't do yeah. Like nothing in the Yogmoth deck works. So it's it's um it's a cool little hate piece. And then uh Alishnorn Mother of Machines on the side. Yeah, definitely a very different take on the five color omnath, quote unquote, that we that does wrap up our top eight, though. So our metagame breakdown, a whopping 25% of the meta this week was Rakdos Midrange. So Rakdos Midrange holds an iron grip on the meta still. So hopefully you like playing against that scam. And now it's pushing into the and top eight as well. Now they're figuring out how to get into the top eight. We'll see if they show up again next week. Saturday was a, like I was just looking at it. Saturday was also a clusterfuck. So uh, real quickly, uh, one, two, three. Rakdos midrange in the top eight and then 25% of the metagame. Yeah. Uh, right. What Matt was saying before is like Rakdos midrange ever since the pro tour has been a, a pretty significant portion of the metagame every week. And it's only saving grace is that it hasn't owned the top eight. It's the decks are performing really well into the top 32, but they are not running into the top eight and winning or doing very well every week. We'll see if it keeps going that way, or we'll see if the metagame has shifted or the players have gotten good enough to start, owning these because if they do i expect a change like i i can't imagine watsy's going to allow modern to fester in this soup they'd let legacy do it but they probably wouldn't let modern do it for very long if this 25 30 percent of the meta deck was also hosing the top eight i hope not me too me too especially considering how many people can't fucking stand getting griefed yeah it's on turn one it's just one of those things like not only is it a really like i don't ever want to see a deck be 25 percent of the meta it is just such an unfun play pattern if the fun of the game matters that is rarely a fun game when it's like hey turn one double thought sees swing for four next turn yeah we do have five um omnath decks with 15 and a half percent obviously that is counting the escape shift deck so wonder how accurate that is yep. but between four and five omnath decks um we've got three others along with a uh, hardened scales and murktide regent Two burn lists, and then a healthy stack of one ofs with mono black coffers, Yogmoth, Living End, Thopter Combo, Mono Green John, some other stuff. Most played cards this week, no shockers here. Ragavan, Fury, Orcish Bowmasters, Chalice of the Void in fourth place, and Grief. The One Ring bringing up sixth place, so Orcish Bowmasters third, the One Ring sixth. Top creatures, Ragavan, Fury, Orcish Bowmasters, Grief, and Dothy Voidwalker. Not a single card older than, what, two and a half years? Two years? Mm-hmm. 
And then top spells, Chalice of the Void, The One Ring, Lightning Bolt, Thought Seize, and Fable of the Mirror Breaker. So how old is old's modern again? 22 years? It's two years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, uh, that does wrap up our modern. So, Matt, as we come to the end of our episode, is there anything uh, magic related you want to talk about that we forgot? The only thing, and I, I may have mentioned this before, but it is kind of cool to me that modern has... There's mono green, mono black, mono red, mono white, and mono blue are all actual decks in modern. That is cool. Yeah, that's like yeah, legitimate, legitimate strategies. Yeah, and there's even some, and we don't see them as often, but they are like there's legitimate um, tribal strategies as well. Like Merfolk is a legit strategy in modern. That's what I was counting as the mono blue deck. Goblins is also well, it's not nearly as good. Is a legit strategy. Like people play it non-ironically. Like yeah, those are real decks. Um. So as we wrap up then, I'd like to remind everybody, we do have our episode 100 coming up soon, a couple episodes. So send us those questions. Looking forward to chit-chat with you guys and kind of just answer whatever you got for us. Uh, cantripcartel at gmail.com, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, huge shout out to our patrons again. Thank you all very much for supporting. If anyone wants to hop into that Patreon, patreon.com forward slash cantripcartel. Ooh, ah, geez, Matt, is there anything I'm forgetting this week? My question for the 100th episode is, how dare you? How dare you, Jake? And on that note, I think we will see you guys next week, maybe. <laughs> Have a nice night, guys. Yeah, I'm just going to activate this Mind Slaver, and I'm going to carn it back. Oh, can I pass to your turn, quote unquote? No, you don't get to see my deck, Scoop. <laughs> Welcome, step on in to the Cantrip Cartel. Jake and Matt chatting meta games or slinging some spells. Casting ale, sipping on blue soup and parting some veils. Glimpse of nature once upon a time. They're telling the tale of the elvish visionaries on the wildwood prairies. Where the brainstorms of Sophia, some so scary, so legendary. Queering rangers cross the sylvan libraries. For when the greens and zenith would parry the clouds and turn their swords into plows. Let them rotate the crops, abundant growth in the ground. Nourish the life from the loam until it flourished unbound. Seeds of innocence burnished all the birch lorian mounds. Gaia's cradle exhaled, carpet of flowers unwound. Birds of Paradise sang, tropical islands of sound. Allosaurus, shepherd danced on dinosaurs, stopping grounds. Jake and Matt pondered deeply all this magic they found. Through their vision, styles, and serum, they saw only for how to convey these magic stories aloud to the crowds, the masses. Make the voices heard, share the truth, the magic. Through ancestral visions, they felt compelled to draw every single card with the cantrip cartel. Draw cards with the cantrip cartel. Draw cards with the Cantrip Cartel.